ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. What I'd like to have right now... With a big boys play. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. Hey, folks, this is Justin Rosero of the Place to Be podcast. You are listening to, I'd say, number uh, co-number one best podcast in the world, and that is, of course, where the big boys play. Parv, Chad, take it away, boys. Introducing first, weighing 265 pounds, from Atlanta, Georgia, Chad Soup Campbell. How you doing, Chad? Doing great, Parv. How are you? It's been a long time coming, but uh, I'm glad to get back into these shows. Well, I, uh, I'm like a bucket of sweat here. I'm stressed out. <laughs> I've, been tr- <laughs> I've been trying to get this equipment to work all bloody day. So uh, I'm blaming Microsoft mainly for Windows 8. It's a piece of, uh, piece of garbage. Um, so lots of stuff to talk about, Chad. First of all, um, what about your expedition with the place to be guys? Yeah. Um, I went up to, uh, New Jersey and New York area for WrestleMania and, uh, it was honestly one of the most fun trips I've had in my life. It was a great time. I've, I've never really kind of, I guess, been on a trip where, you know, I, I went for WrestleMania, but the most memorable parts and the parts that I had the most fun were not any of the actual wrestling shows I went to yeah. uh, both, both of the wrestling shows and the hall of fame, I thought were okay that I went to, but, uh, the most fun was meeting everybody kind of hanging out. Uh, we had some, some, uh, forays in New York city, both Friday and Saturday, uh, night. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, it was just, uh, as an experience as a whole, it was great. Um, I met a ton of great people. So uh, just talk us. Th- I mean, I did listen to the place to be a uh, count, but you know, it's just me and you here now. So <laughs> tell me about some of the characters that you met, uh, as well as Scott and Justin and uh, and and the rest of those characters. I mean, I would say uh, I, I was pretty much around Scott and Justin mostly uh, all weekend. Uh, I was actually uh, staying with Justin for uh, Friday and Saturday night, but uh, so they they pretty much. I think the personality they have on their show is their same personality in real life with the back and forth banter. Uh, but then, uh, I do want to give a special mention to some of the other great, wonderful people that I met, including, uh, and let me try to pronounce this correctly. Mr. Da Mato. I don't know (laughs) if I did that correctly, but, uh, Mr. Mr. D'Amato, uh, he was great. Hung out with him a lot. Uh, he's, he's kind of like a, I guess, a, an uncle, like in your family, you know, kind of a little off the rails, but somebody that you, you know, you end up loving, just a lovable guy. And then, and then you have the crazy cousin, which is Mr. James Grunberg, who probably was the MVP of the, uh, the trip. If I had to give a, uh, an end of trip awards, he was definitely the, uh, most excitable throughout the show and. That was amazing, but even even beyond that, I, I I apologize ahead of time if I leave you off, but I got to meet uh, Derek Cornett. He'll be on the show coming up. 
uh, Grant Owens, who can't find his way around New York City. Uh, I, I met him when he finally did navigate himself. Jason Greenhouse, uh, Sean Flaherty, and uh, his friend Mike from Boston. Uh, they were great. Uh, Brad and Doug from Philadelphia. Uh, those are two guys that came down uh, to uh, my, they were at Miami last year, and then they came up uh, to New York this year. So they kind of have a thing where they go to WrestleMania every year. It was cool to hang out with them. Just just the whole experience was. Uh, were those two guys like typical Philly fans? Were they cheering the heels? No, and stuff? see that's. <laughs> I, I, see, I will fully admit. Uh, I mean, it's, it's no secret that my southern accent and brad will love this because he gets a kick out of my southern accent anyway uh but my southern accent is pretty prevalent so uh meeting up with two guys from boston and philadelphia i kind of had the worst uh worst <laughs> stereotypes i guess you could say in mind yeah uh, but no all four were uh very solid dudes and then uh, and then the uh, also mr poirier from uh from hamilton ontario uh, who who can drink like a fish? Most impressive drinker I've ever been around. Yeah, and th- th- there's that guy Jay as well. Did you mention him? The, the... Jay or Matt? I met him at the tailgate. That was that was really cool. I mean, it's just the whole thing. Like, uh, I mean, I mean, it it, it kind of feels like a dream. It, it really did because it was just uh, I was on the go constantly. I mean, we we get up early in the morning both. Uh, Friday when I flew out through Sunday, we got up early in the morning and then we got back and we just pretty much crashed in the hotel room as me and Justin uh, recreated the day's events. Uh, so it was, you know, an action-packed day each time. But uh, it's, it's fun to do. I, I, I think you should go to uh, WrestleMania live once yeah. in your life. Well, I, um, it, it might be worth uh, taking a taking a plane journey if i doubt it'll ever come to london yeah i I can't see it but uh but for one time and um i'm I'm gonna try to go to new orleans next year yeah well you know i i uh you know my whole trip to new orleans and uh atlanta and stuff was uh yeah kiboshed by my (laughs) evil head of department no Uh, so i uh yeah i had to cancel all of that so i do i I do still want to go to New Orleans. Maybe I could try to, uh, maybe if I think this far enough ahead, I could buy a ticket and <laughs> go to New Orleans. Um, well, it sounds like a trip of a lifetime, Chad. It was. Uh, it was. It was. It was very fun. It was great. Uh, but now you actually watched the WrestleMania show. Yeah. yeah so we should. Uh, we we should discuss. Uh, we don't discuss modern wrestling much on this uh, show, but we should, uh, given that you went there live. And I uh, sat through the four bloody hours of it on uh, <laughs> on TV. Um, we should uh, just talk through that car quickly. Um, my like my feeling watching the show was that um, basically Punk Taker was an amazing match, and uh, it kind of killed the show dead. <laughs> um, it, it, in that Brock versus Triple H, and especially for me. Cena versus Rock, two of the worst big name matches I can remember, maybe in like the past 30, 30 40 years of, uh, of re- I, I actually have gone on record to say that Cena versus Punk is like the worst uh, 
the worst main event of all time for WrestleMania. Yeah, that one, uh, I think you're going to be on an island with that one. <laughs> I just, no, um, no, watching on TV, it was very difficult to tell uh, how the crowd was re- responding. I think it was a combination of the acoustics in the venue and the fact that they were playing that music so loud that it was impossible to hear what the crowd were doing, especially uh, during Cena's uh, entrance and whatnot. So, I mean, d- were the crowd unusually quiet during uh, Triple H Brock? I mean, it certainly seemed like that way on TV. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Triple H and Brock was the... Uh, definitely, I think the crowd reaction was not what they had in mind. But, but I, I do think in general, just when you're dealing with WrestleMania now that they're in these stadium shows... Uh, I mean, what you find is you have pockets of fans. I mean, because the stadium is so loud that your section could, everybody in your section could be standing up and chanting. And if you're on the other side of the stadium, you don't hear it. You don't even hear nothing. So it's 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 very, uh, I would say with WrestleMania, there's kind of pros and cons because it is, a, a, you know, it's a spectacle that you won't get in any other show, like with the pyro going off and the open air stadium and the entrances. When you're there live, it, the whole set and everything, it's something you can't get uh, in any other show. But kind of the con to that, I believe, is some of those matches like uh, Triple H and Brock. That was a match that was kind of built around their psychology and like the big kind of violent spots that they were trying to do. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, I mean, I started out uh, up to the Ziggler swagger match. I was in my actual seat that I purchased, right. which was in the upper deck. Uh, it was in the 300 section and you could, you couldn't hear the, you know, any bumps, you couldn't hear any bumps. Uh, right. I was kind of parallel to the entrance way so I couldn't hear you, the uh, entrance music wasn't that loud there. It was kind of behind me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so that was very different. And then I moved down to where Justin and Scott and Greenhouse and <clears throat> Andy and James and D'Amato were sitting. And that was in the 200 section. And that was facing the entrance way. And that was a lot better experience. And you could... Uh, you could hear a lot more and kind of take it all in better. But even with that and the Triple H Brock match, like when they hit the steps, you could barely hear the impact. So, I I, I mean, they haven't really tried it, but I can't imagine like an intricately kind of even a Steamboat Savage match to an extent that's focused on mat work or maybe trying to tell a story it'd be interesting to see if that could work in uh in the in the big stadium type wrestlemania show well, well where were they in wrestlemania 3 because they did have such i mean that was a bigger crowd technically uh, yeah oh well, i mean that was definitely a huge crowd uh yeah. i mean i it, it is tough I'm, i guess i'm trying to think of a match i mean i think definitely like the iron man match would die of a huge death and yeah. a, uh, in a stadium show like that, that, I mean, honestly with WrestleMania, there's not a ton of other, I guess, Matt heavy matches, well, but the- I, I do think it's tough just to kind of get the nuances 
of the matches, and that's why I think you saw in the Cena Rock match it essentially uh, doiled down to finisher finisher real oh. quick. Well, I mean, there's a few things to say about this card. Um, for one, there's not many matches on it. It was a, for like WrestleMania. There were what eight matches total. That's a, there's that's eight a, matches. Uh, they they canceled the eight man. Right. So you had eight matches, but it was still a you know three hour fifty minute show. Yeah. So more like eight long matches rather than or you know quite a few of those matches went long. And I actually, I mean, I was going to start a thread on this, but I wanted to talk to you about it first, having been to the show. Um, like, if you have a look at the way that WrestleMania used to be booked in back in the day, um, you'd always have your... Uh, the booking philosophy was all about peaks and troughs, right? So you, you had a peak, let's say, you know, Savage versus Steamboat or something, which would take the crowd uh, up, or like... Um, let me give you an uh, Savage versus Flair was a peak that happened earlier on in the night, if you remember. Um, and then you had other matches, you know, Jim Duggan versus the Barbarian, or uh, you know, Jimmy Snooker versus Brutus Beefcake, or some you know some mid card match that didn't really mean anything. Um, and that would be the match that people would be able to go and have a loo break during, or go and get a drink or something. Um, or, you know, it'd be a match to bring the crowd back down. And then you'd have another match to take the crowd back up. Um, on this show, it seemed like they just went... Like, the booking was, you know, it literally goes... Taker versus Punk. Uh, Triple H versus Brock. Cena versus uh, Rock. I mean, there's no break there for the crowd. It, like, my feeling watching it is that the crowd got burnt out. More than anything else. That they didn't have a chance to rest. Yeah, but I mean, at WrestleMania 28, they kind of did that, where they put Taker versus Triple H in the middle. Yeah. You know, I mean, they came out within like the first hour and a half to start their match on the show. And even after that, it kind of felt like the crowd was a little deflated. I mean, I think, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily, I mean, I think they've tried. Mm. A couple of different ways. It's just with both the final matches, one, Cena versus Rock, I really thought might have a kind of majestic atmosphere with a real hostile Mm. crowd towards Cena. Yeah. Uh, But but I do think, one, there was kind of more, I guess, kids and people that cheered for Cena pretty well. And two, I, I, I do think The Rock, it's kind of time for him to go on his way. I, I, he got a good reaction, but it just feels like we've seen him do the same match now four times in his return match, and he looks blown up and out of shape, and it's just like, we, we love you, you know, you're one of our favorites, but it's time to either do something or go home and looks like he won't be around for a while, which I actually think is a good thing. Yeah, well, he's injured now, right? Yeah, I right? mean, it, he just he just didn't seem fresh. Like, seeing these two in the ring, there wasn't, uh, I, I mean, a huge kind of, you, you didn't have a moment. So, that was tough. So, a, a few other thoughts, okay. <laughs> First of all, uh, did you go back and watch the show on video yet, or, or not? 
<laughs> yeah, I've watched uh, I've watched bits and pieces. I haven't watched it straight all the way through, but I've rewatched the main matches and a couple of the undercard matches. Um, how much is Michael Cole going to use the phrase WrestleMania moment? Yeah, he is so annoying. I, I he might be my least favorite commentator of all time. Like, and that, that's including like all the really, really bad ones. Like, I really hate Michael Cole. Um, it, the second thing is um, Triple H was ba- like he can't work face, can he? Basically, just I don't understand what they were trying to get out of that match because the, the crowd he doesn't have any connection with the crowd. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there was much investment, uh, one way or the other, whether this was his end quote retirement match or not. He certainly didn't seem to have any sympathy, and you didn't. I mean, that's one thing now with the Undertaker. Like the Undertaker Punk match was definitely great. Yeah. But uh, but I mean now the they have such a formula with that where there was that's a simple match to me. There was not a lot of. Uh, but, I mean, I mean, to me, the only creative thing with that match was building to the urn spot. Everything right. else was something we had seen uh, throughout his matches. One thing with Taker's streak is now, to me, for four or five years running, they've been able to build to one spot that kind of conceivably makes you hold out hope yeah. that the streak will get broken, uh, and that's all they do. There's not a lot of... Uh, Anything well, in between. Well, I will say that's one match that did have me marking out. Um, and that's a testament to CM Punk there. Because, I mean, there's no way that CM Punk was winning that match in a million years. I don't think anybody before that match started gave Punk any hope. Okay. And yet, I still, three or four times, thought, thought that that may, you know, that it may be going Punk's way somehow. Um, I don't know if, the, like, and... For me, I did. I wasn't a fan of the Taker, Shawn Michaels matches, the ones that are so highly rated. I did, did um, one of the ones was it WrestleMania 25? Did they have a match? Uh, the the first one was WrestleMania 25. Yeah, I I was not a fan of that match. Um, I th- but what what do you think was so I guess structurally different from a match like that than the match we got? Well, versus Punk. Well, I mean, and this is going to be um, why I dislike Cena Rock so much as well. Um, There's this big match WWE formula now where you have um, basically lots of false finishes, right? Finisher, reversal, counter, false finish, rinse, repeat. I mean, over and over and over again, right? One guy hits his finisher... Or um, the other guy hits his finisher. It's a two count over and over again. Um, and the the HBK uh, Taker matches, I think, were responsible for putting that particular formula on the map as the kind of new thing to do. We, would you agree that that was a kind of paradigm shift in Oof. the way the way to wrestle a big WrestleMania match? Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I think before then we still had. I mean, even uh, the like the the Taker Batista match in a lot of ways has a lot of near falls uh, and kind of moves and spots. Yeah, I'm not talking about near falls. I'm talking about that. You know, one guy hits his finisher, goes for the cover. It's a two count. Then the next, then 
he goes for the finisher again and gets reversed. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I do, I do think we had that. I mean, I think we'd had that before. I mean, in but then the Batista Taker match, he hits his Batista bomb. Taker hits his choke slam. I mean, you had certain finisher type moves that were, right. uh, you know, near falls. Right, but to me. That the the Shawn Michaels Taker match seemed to take it to like a ridiculous level, where where it was literally you know choke slam, sweet chin music, tombstone, sweet chin music, you know, over and over again. Was that not the case? Am I misremember? That was my, certainly my memory of watching that match. I I, I mean I, you know it. I don't know how recently you've misremembered that, but or how recently you've watched that match. I mean, that I do think that was kind of the case for that match, but I guess my argument is I, if you don't like that match, I mean, the only, I, w- I would say your best argument for if you prefer Punk versus Taker over the Taker-Shawn matches mm. is you can say that Punk had uh, tighter strikes. I think the, the striking in Punk and Taker was tighter and uh, stiffer than in the Sean Taker matches. But I think in this match, Taker versus Punk, you had, I mean, you had take uh, Punk kicking out of a tombstone. You had the, the GTS spot, which I don't know if that was, I, you never yeah. could see clearly if he hit the GTS, but I do think Taker kind of used that where he bounced off the ropes on that. I, I, I think that, I mean, my argument for the Punk match, uh, and I'd have to go back and watch the uh, the HBK one as well, again, to, uh, in fairness. But I, I felt this one just built a lot more logically. And you said, you know, there was nothing that new there and nothing that innovative. But it was still, it still was worked well, smartly, built built to a crescendo. So that, so that when you got to all those uh, false finishes and near falls at the end, it was a big payoff. And you were emotionally invested, and you, you you can't get to that point unless you've had, you know, fifteen minutes beforehand with, uh, you know, take a beating on Punk, Punk being the kind of uh, cowardly heel, uh, gaining an advantage through uh, whatever means necessary, then having a extended uh, stretch sequence. He had all of those cheeky little spots where he uh, was being disrespectful to Taker, and he. He went up on the ropes. Do you remember that? Um, yeah. So I, I thought that Punk did a lot of different things to make you dislike him as a heel, um, for you to be rooting for Taker. Not that I necessarily was, but I, I, I think that it kind of worked on that traditional level. Um, and then, so, and and then by the end, you genuinely didn't know what was going to be, um, what was going to be the the finish. So I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just thought that uh, that match. I mean, I don't think it was a all-time classic five-star or anything. Um, but it, it, it was a definitely solid four, four-plus star match for me. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I just remember not liking those Shawn Michaels matches as much, especially that first one. <laughs> well, I'll just say. I mean, I've seen. Uh... Of the, of the two WrestleMania matches with Taker that I've seen live, I, I, I do think I, I mean, and it, it's not a, you know, it's not a nitpick because, I, I mean, if I had to rank this match that I saw, it'd probably be between four and a quarter 
yeah. or a, a four and a half, something like that. Yeah. But I, I did think I preferred the uh, Triple H Taker match from 27. Right. Uh, a, a lot of that is built around Triple H hitting the tombstone, which was, you know, when he hit that tombstone, that's probably the best 20 seconds I've ever experienced at a wrestling show. Just the sheer electricity. Now, that was a moment where the whole crowd was together. Yeah. And I mean, you you saw a version of that when uh, when he kicked it, when Punk kicked out of the tombstone and he hit the uh, urn shot. I think you had a you know just uh, amped electricity, but uh, it's kind of amazing. I mean, I don't I don't know if they'll ever break the streak or not, but it's it's so abundantly clear that that is by far the biggest I guess carrot that they can dangle in front of the audience every year that has the most stakes. I mean, that has more stakes than any retirement, any championship, and it's it's not even close. Right. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And it's something never to be repeated, really, I think. It's like, um, it's you know, it's a moment that you can't uh, kind of manufacture in a way. Yeah, I mean, I get a, I mean, I, I kind of, a lot of times I relate the streak and stuff. I mean, the streak specifically, I think of kind of like a, that Wimbledon match when Federer faced Nadal. And yeah, I think like 2008 when you yeah. had really felt like kind of a changing of the guard moment. Um, and then something like that. I, I, I mean, I don't know where they'll go next year. It, it looks like Taker's in better shape than he's been maybe in a couple of years because he's working i mean he worked smackdown for god's sakes last week which is shocking but uh right <laughs> but uh, he definitely looks like he's on board next year i don't know if they'll go the cena taker route which I, I do think would be amazing and uh a lot of kind of mystery around who would uh win that and then the other route i think they could go with somebody like taker versus ambrose that you really, and I mean, but to do that, and if, you know, if somebody of that level broke the streak, that's really a no turning back moment. You can't yeah. have them break the streak and then, like, pull a Dolph Ziggler, have him win the title, have him lose the next week, and then you're just back to even Stephen booking. It has to be, this is our new star. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it could really make somebody, it could really Absolutely. make somebody... Um, yeah, I, I actually think that it would probably be a mistake to uh, have that person be John Cena. Um, and uh, in fact, this is a good moment to transition into the main event because I have strong views on this. Um, I, I did feel watching it, though, that I don't understand. There's something I don't get about the crowd dynamics and John Cena. It's, it, feels, it, it, it feels more complex than just people don't like him. It, it felt like there was a few odd moments where he turned and looked at the crowd. He acknowledged the fact that they, they were booing. There was something interesting going on there. Did, did you kind of watch the current product? Do you have any deeper insight into that? Because uh, I don't get it. Well, this is... It's, it's, I think we're entering kind of uncharted territory with, uh, with somebody, uh, with Cena currently, because... You, you can look, I mean, the night before I went and saw Bruno San Martino get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. This this is somebody that played the general same geographic area that wrestled for 20 plus years and still was an effective draw. 
Yeah. Uh, after him, you know, Hogan, he definitely had backlash. I, I mean, even if you give him up to like 1991, it's still the tail end of his peak. I think safely by 92, 93, most yeah. were sick of him. So that's that's a nine year shelf life. Yeah. Uh, Austin and Rock haven't been around for even that long. So Cena has been pretty much essentially the guy, even if you say he established that moniker at WrestleMania 22. Well, we're yeah. seven years. We're seven years past that, mm-hmm. where he's been the number one guy in the promotion, and nobody has, you know, risen to take the mantle uh, from that. No. And it, it, it's just a kind of, it's, it's, it's a very unique dynamic, because if you do turn him heel, what would be the net result of that? Would the people that boo him automatically cheer him? And I, I do think now the the kind of the wrestling community that we're in is not a very realistic community because I can just speak from experience. Just I mean, this is obviously is a small sample size, but yeah. I'm a big wrestling fan. Do you know how many wrestling WWE T-shirts I've purchased in the past two years, Parv? No idea. Zero. Yeah. I mean, that, that, you know that, that, how, how much how much merchandise have I yeah. pushed out? That, that, my, that would be my that would be my exact guess as well. It would be zero. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, my wife is a, a a teacher, and she has a couple of kids in her class, and they're they're first graders, and they are uh, wrestling fans. And I mean, you know, for Halloween they came in, they had the hat, they had the shirt, they have wristbands. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a hundred bucks of merchandise. That's, I mean, no grown man. I don't, not many grown men. I don't think are going to be buying wristbands and stuff like that. So you're talking about the equivalent of four t-shirts is what you have to buy to counteract what this mm-hmm. one person did. And this is a theory that, uh, Mr. Rosero's came up with. And it's one that I agree with is that, I don't. I don't know technically for the crowd that they're going for. If Cena really could be a better heel than what he actually is now. Yeah. I mean, he he's definitely a heel to them, where he still acts like a tool. He has <laughs> terrible promos. Um. So I mean, he's performing a heel character to that group. It's 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 almost. I mean, it's almost like it could be a, a character in twenty years that we look back on and it's so genius because it's so abstract. Well, but well, uh, you know, I don't I, know. I, I've I've thought this for a while. That <laughs> the interesting thing with wrestling now is that every fan, every like grown-up fan, I guess, thinks they're a smart fan, right? Everybody's on the internet. Everybody talks about it. Okay, but the WWE has known this for a long time. Okay. And they've known for all of that time, and all of the t- virtually the entire time that Cena has been on top. Okay, they've known that whether they keep the belt on him, whether they it, it, it doesn't matter what they do with John Cena. Okay, there's always going to be a portion of that audience who are bitching and moaning on t- on Twitter and Facebook and on their on their own like wrestling blogs and on forums and stuff. They're all bitching and moaning about Cena all the time. But my, I've, I, I've thought for a long time that their overall strategy is to keep that happening. It, it, it is, is essentially to keep a portion of their audience pissed off permanently um, on purpose. So ultimately, they're, yeah. st- 
ultimately they're still marks in a way. They're just being played in a different way. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the closest we've seen to them catering to that fan is when kind of punk did his big title run. And I mean, I, I think we can obviously, I mean, whether you think that was booked great or not, I don't think it was booked great, but I mean, he certainly facts are facts. He held the title for over a year and he was positioned as one of the main people in the company. I mean, Cena was losing last year and the net result of that was ratings went down and, uh, and it wasn't a as successful a product overall. So that to me kind of throws in that there is a kind of vocal majority that us because of the websites and uh, kind of the places we frequent, uh, it, it kind of comes to the forefront more than it really exists on a uh, meta level. Right. Well, um, I did want to say a few things about this match, though, this, the Cena Rock match, because okay. in my mind, as somebody who doesn't like, I don't really watch, you know, maybe the one show I watch a year is WrestleMania. Okay. Right. And for me, um, like John Cena is obviously an icon. He represents, I guess, wrestling now. <laughs> you know, he, he's been on top for a long time. And whatever you say about him, he is the man, right? Right. He, yeah, he's, he's definitely the number one day-to-day he, guy. He, he is the Hogan of now or the Rock of now, right? Right, right. And, and the Rock is the Rock. <laughs> so I went into that match expecting something big. You know, ex- you're, you know, you're expecting Hogan versus Warrior or something on that kind of level of electricity correct um to to an extent and last year i also expected a similar sort of thing okay yeah um now that's something didn't happen right about this match from the minute the cena came out okay something already felt anticlimactic like he didn't get a very big he didn't get a very big entrance his music just kind of hit and he just kind of walked out did you notice that yeah, I, I, I think that was a conscious choice where uh, I, at that exact moment, me and because me and Justin were standing next to each other and we were sort of running down. We were like, well, they've got the eight man and we were trying to time it out. And we're like, well, did they have time for the eight man or did they scrap it? And right, right after the Hall of Fame introduction, his music, you know, just sort of out of the blue hit up and yeah. kind of. I, I kind of liked it on the surface because it seemed like, well, there's not much more you can say. You know that the the two people, I guess, speak for themselves. Yeah. And Cena's, Cena's always at WrestleMania has had these kind of production entrances and they played up this match as that it meant everything to him. He took it real serious. So I did kind of like that, that he just mm. sort of walked out and didn't have pyro and stuff like that. But, uh, it, it did, it did seem a little anticlimactic when he came out, but I'd say even more so with the rock, like the rock, yeah. I just expected a ton of electricity. Right. Uh, no so, pun intended. So, so, so the crowd didn't seem like, okay, the crowd are never going to be, going big for Cena, and there's a certain, you know, audible portion of that crowd. Maybe even the majority of the crowd is booing him, correct? Yeah. Um, now, but the, event- the ovation for The Rock, certainly on TV, and I know there's all the acoustic issues and the music playing really loud, etc. It-, it didn't sound like he had a great pop, you know? Yeah, um, I, 
it wasn't as big, I don't think, as somebody like Punk or Taker, uh, just those two. Right, it, it wasn't it wasn't as big as uh, it pops that we'd already heard earlier in the night, okay? So already before this match had started, it felt like, um, it felt a little bit like something wasn't happening, something wasn't going, I don't know, it didn't feel as special as it should have done for some reason. Right. And, and, and then when they started, okay... I, you know, I, as I said in my in the, the long comments that I wrote there, I felt we were sinking in for quite a long match here. They started off slow and tentative, and mm-hmm. we got a bit of mat work and stuff. And I thought, right, you know, and you and I, Chad, we've just been watching all these epic, you know, flare steamboat matches and funk flare and stuff. So, you know, when when two people are getting ready for a half an hour match, you can kind of tell how they're pacing themselves. Okay. Right. But literally, after about five minutes, they started hitting the rock bottom and the. <laughs> you know, they started going for their finishers after, and literally, um, I can't, I mean, I, I actually lost count of the amount of times, but that match was 20 minutes of people doing finishers and two counts. That, that I mean, for me, that's not a match. <laughs> you can't get, you can't get invested in the drama of a match that doesn't, that starts from that. You, you can't have a 25 minute finish sequence. That's ridiculous. I mean, am I, am I selling it short? too short here because i honestly i can't think of a main event that has been worked as stupidly as that i mean even even stuff like hogan versus bundy makes sense you know <laughs> yeah um, i mean i don't i don't know i've i've uh I've, my you know i've seen two wrestlemania live uh cena versus miz was an atrocity of a wrestlemania main event <laughs> to watch live at wrestlemania 27 so i do think i like this match yeah. better but uh I mean, at best, I would say this match was pretty good. I mean, it was certainly nothing I would call great, or but I, I didn't have high expectations because of the. Uh, I, I thought the only chance this match had was that the crowd really got invested, and you had sort of those uh, Hulk staring at Andre or a, a Rock yeah. Hogan, you know, type moments where the crowd is just overtaken with emotion and really carries the lack of great work in the ring that i mean to me the one thing though uh talking about them just sort of transitioning straight from mat work to uh to um finishers is that was i guess the only discouraging thing from the weekend is between the ring of honor show and the wrestlemania show you you didn't see uh I don't think I saw any more than like three minutes of a body control work segment. Right. Yeah. Which, which was very disappointing. Mm. Uh, It just seems like the matches now are not more about telling a coherent story. It seems like more moves and near false. Yeah. You know, that peaks and troughs thing I was telling you about uh, between matches that also works as a booking philosophy within a match as well, where, um, you have a high spot, but then you take the crowd down, and then you take the crowd up again. You know, you, uh, Jake Roberts is good at talking about that sort of stuff, if you ever hear him. But, like, th- there's actually a psychology behind the rest hold, for example, like why it's there. You know, yeah. a moment where you need the crowd to be quiet, so that when you do hit that DDT, <laughs> they're going to pop, you know? Um, I- I'm not sure how well it works when you're hitting a rock bottom every four minutes. <laughs> do, yeah. Do you know? 
you know, yeah, I mean, at, at the end of that match, it did look like they were doing some kind of choreographed uh, dance routine with them kind of reversing. and. So my, my other big problem is that The Rock was awful in this match, okay? I mean, even, like, aside from all the structural problems, like, it, okay, I understand that he may have got an injury during this match, but, like, he, he I don't know, he blew a ton of spots. His Even his people's elbow looked awkward. There was tons of moments where he'd do a move and then he'd just stand there and he'd look. Now, I don't know if that was meant to be like, was that meant to be like dramatic effect or something or drama or... Uh, it, yeah, I think mostly that's him catching his breath. I mean, he uh, just, it's, it's just, he's at the conditioning now where he cannot, it, I mean, this is four examples that we've seen now where when he's in the ring for... More than five minutes, he just looks blown up and has to kind of gather his bearings, and the match pace really suffers as a result. Yeah, well, well I mean, there were moments where he reminded me of Hugh, Hugh Morris <laughs> when, <laughs> you know, he, when he did a move and just stopped and looked. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so, I mean, okay, saying it's the worst WrestleMania event of all time. Um, is maybe a little harsh, but you know. Yeah, we got we got Sid versus the Undertaker. <laughs> but, but, but you, you know, um, the point is, is that the Rock is not the Miz. You know, he's the Rock, so you kind of expect something a bit special, I guess. Um, yeah, and it, and it mean, felt so far short, from in my point of view, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think objectively as a show, it's kind of weird because I know. A lot of people going in did not have high expectations, yeah. uh, but but they definitely booked the show uh, almost as conservatively as they could. Yeah, and and uh, I mean I would say at best it was a good show, kind of a middle of the road WrestleMania when all is said and done. Not as bad as the WrestleMania twos and nines for me, but no, no, cer- certainly not a WrestleMania seventeen or. No. Uh, one of the all-time greats, and but uh, but the kind of the flip side of the coin from that is we remove ourselves from a total fandom standpoint. Is this was the you know the best profit-generating show in company history? Right. Yeah. No, Which is tough. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's tough that a show like this. I mean, you kind of wish that a show, I guess, as good as like a WrestleMania three. Mm. Uh, you know that is a a really good show that stands on its own and has something for everybody. That that could be it, but uh, as of right now, it's this show, and I think it's going to be kind of tough, honestly, to break in some ways. Yeah, but I mean that that's what I was thinking. Like on you know, it's in the history books. You know, Cena versus Rock is a is a is a match for the ages, and you you just kind of wish it would have been better than it was, and I I. The one thing I wanted to ask you about was this trope, though, this this big match, WWE WrestleMania match, I guess, of having all of the false finishes and, you know, I mean, Cena Rock went way, way over the top on it to an extent that I've never seen before, where it was literally five minutes of a normal match and then 25 minutes of false finishes. Yeah. Um, This has to stop, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's getting out of, like, essentially the last three matches were that only... Um, you know, Punk versus Taker built it properly, but I mean, Brock Triple H was the same thing as well. How much can yeah. they, how much can they keep on going on this? Because it's, uh, I mean, f- from my point of view, it's really tiresome. It's just like 
the worst possible thing in wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's definitely a tight rope. Um, I, w- I would say that Rock, I mean, uh, Punk versus Taker, that type of match is probably the extreme end of what I'm comfortable with yeah. allowing. Uh, because I, I, I mean, I do see an argument where you say, you know, this was the biggest show of all time for the company. You know, they, they're if if you're going to kick out of a finisher, this is a good, as good an opportunity as any. But yeah. the flip side of that is one, it should be built to, like it should be yeah. a spot that's built to, not just thrown out just as a transition move almost. Yeah, and. And two, that uh, you, you've done it so many times now that, I mean, six, six, seven minutes into the main event, you don't think that Rock's going to win with a Rock bottom. So right. that, that move is just wasted. I mean, there's there's no sense for him to do that instead of like a DDT or any other transition move. Yeah, He's I mean, wasted. You, you killed, but you've, you've also killed your finisher. Yeah, you've killed some <laughs> finishers where now... You you are sort of setting your fans up that uh, even um, you know fifteen eighteen minutes into a match, if a big move's hit, you know it's not going to be done. I mean, I think they could maybe follow, uh, and I can't believe I'm saying follow the template of this guy, but a Tanahashi versus Suzuki match from October of last year, which New Japan is a promotion that I know I'm lower on than a ton of people, but. Uh, but they kind of had the same problem where every one of their big matches had these million near falls and big moves and everything else. And in that match, they had uh, they had one pinfall attempt, Parv, and it was the, the final one. That's and good. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of one of these. Ma- it was an incredible. It was one of my favorite matches of last year. And it's one of those things where as, it, uh, as you're watching, you kind of pick up on it. And then, uh, and then it just ends like that. So if they did that, I think that'd be smart to kind of book a match or at least build up to the big move. Well, you know where the best finish of the night was? <laughs> I'm going to say Fandango's a joke. I know you hate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Best finish of the night was Mark Henry right back. That was an awesome finish. Oh, uh, no. No? No. <laughs> no. I hated that match. No, I mean, no, it wasn't a great match, but the finish was like, well, it was like something out of a Clash show from 1989, wasn't it? Yeah, but even they run that, because right <laughs> after the finish, uh, Ryback gets all his heat back. Oh, yeah, the, I mean... The shell shock and everything, oh, God. The, the, the post-match we could have done without, I'm just talking yeah. about the finish of the actual match. It was such a surprise that on this show where you have a million false finishes, you know, you just get a standard old-school, <laughs> almost like... Uh, an old school, almost, uh, what was that booker's name? Uh, uh, Scott. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Almost a Scott finish, George Scott finish. George Scott, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I think we talked, uh, that's the most we've ever talked about modern wrestling on this show. Um, <laughs> Probably so, the most we ever will. <laughs> yeah, until you've got a WrestleMania next year, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I also went to a wrestling show Chad, um, uh, Southside Wrestling, Raw Deal Two. Did you did you read my comments on this? <laughs> uh, I only saw your comment on you asking TBIC whether he's a brawler or a technician, which I can't decide if his answer. And I want to ask you about his actual like demeanor when he said this, because I couldn't decide whether his answer was actually one that he'd really thought out of 
and mm-hmm. really believed what he was saying or if it was just sort of typical kind of wrestler carny BS, you know, where he just says a non-answer as an answer because he kind of didn't answer the question, you know. He said both. <laughs> well, um, my my full review, by the way, is in the comments that don't warrant a thread thread. Um, okay. And I, I gave it a pretty extensive review this show, uh, so, so you can have a look at that. But um, yeah, uh, as uh, as regular listeners to this show may know, my all-time wrestling hero, uh, the Million Dollar Man, Teddy DiBiase, he was there, uh, and he was mainly my reason for going to the show in Stevenage. And um, I didn't actually realize that he, they'd set up the tables for the meet and greet around the corner. So I only realized that he was actually sitting there uh, five minutes before the show was about to start, and I was like, "Oh shit, <laughs> I, I would, I've missed my chance to go and see him." But then they announced that they were going to come back during the interval. So as soon as the interval came, I beelined it to DBRC, and I was the first in the queue. Okay, he was actually late coming back out. Um, <laughs> he was dressed, Chad, in a, um, a WWE 2012 tracksuit. Okay. Nice. Um, Tracksuit bottoms, tracksuit top, no effort to get ready or anything. He wasn't wearing like anything related to being Million Dollar Man. He had uh, visibly, you know, overweight. You know, he's a big guy now, isn't he, DBRC? Um, and uh, yeah, he didn't really seem too bothered by anything going on uh, on this show. Um, he seemed to be there to pick up a check. Um, it's a little bit odd because he doesn't do like that many of these convention shows, does he, DBRC? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he does some, but not, I mean, he's certainly not some of these, I mean, I guess like King Kong Bundy that gets rolled yeah. out at every single one. Yeah, and like considering he flew all the way out here for this show, like he was wearing his Hall of Fame ring, a lot of people were going nuts about and stuff. Um, hmm. So, yeah, um, so anyway, I was there first in line. How uh, big was the crowd? Um, there were about a thousand people there. It was a really, oh, okay, it was a, that's good. It was a really decent turnout. A lot of kids. Um, they clearly marketed this event to families. But honestly, I think, I mean, I'll t- let me tell my DBRC story first. And I'll tell you a bit more about Southside Wrestling uh, once okay. we're done with that. Um, so uh, I was, I mean, you know, you don't meet one of your heroes every day. So I was literally, like, even before he came, my heart started going. Have you ever had that, Chad, where you, you're about to meet a wrestler and you're... Uh, you literally just start getting nervous. Uh, uh, <laughs> I really started getting nervous because I was about to speak to uh, speak to DBRC. You know, I, I've been uh, a fan of this guy since I was like four years old. So, um, so yeah. Um, so he came and uh, immediately said how much his uh, his poster. You know, ten pounds for a poster, twenty pound for the book, or fifteen pound for a photo with him okay and he had a million he had the, a million dollar belt there as well um the woman next to him claimed that it was the real one but i don't believe that i don't believe that. i i think the real million dollar belt is locked up in titan towers right i would imagine so yeah i mean it, it, it that cost forty thousand dollars to make back in uh 1988 so it'd be you know he wouldn't be allowed to carry that to Stevenage, I don't think. And it was just like lying on the table. Like he didn't take it back to the locker room with him or anything. So yeah, clearly it's got to be a replica, I'd have thought. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I asked him, um, I said, uh, 
I've been a big fan of yours, Ted. Um, and I, I basically said I was the one kid who cheered for him when he was, uh, when I was little, when he was facing Hogan and stuff. All of the other kids uh, were cheering other guys. I was his fan. Uh, he didn't really say much about that. Um, and then I said, well, we've been debating for months. Is Ted DiBiase a brawler or a technician? And I name check Will. Uh, good helmet Will, the maker of all the great sets that we watch. Um, who, who's always had this line, hasn't he? That Ted DiBiase is basically a brawler. Um, that he's even though he's got a rep as a technician, he's best as a brawler. And I asked him, you know, set the record straight. What, what, um, what? How do you consider yourself? And he, he, as you said, um, said that he was both. That he was trained by Terry Funk, who was known as a great brawler, but was also a great technician. And that, um, and he got a little bit. I don't know if he was defensive, but he was kind of a little bit, um, you know, he stated it as a fact. I was notable, I was notable as being both, he said. Um, but I think he said it with some degree of pride, Chad, if I was to um, put my finger on his answer there. Um, yeah. And then, and then <laughs> what I didn't say is that I almost forgot to pay. I forgot because I was so kind of in the moment that I almost walked off without giving him the tempo note, which was a bit awkward. <laughs> so what, what was that for a uh, autograph? Yeah. And, uh, I, I picture? Got, well, I've got it here in front of me. It's an autograph picture of DBRC. Um, you know, the one where he's just got the, uh, million dollar belt and a fan of hundred dollar bills, mm-hmm. uh, laughing. And he's just said, Hey, Nima. And then signed it, Ted DBRC with a dollar sign. <laughs> mm, that's pretty cool. So, but yeah, I mean, he, he kind of, uh, I think, um, came across like he was quite full of himself in that regard, I guess. And not full of himself, but kind of like he knows that he's got a big rep as a worker and he, and he, and he believes it, if that makes any sense. Yep. Uh, but he, w- I mean, I guess if you read all of the Meltzers and stuff, like he was a, and even if you read any of the, uh, any of those kind of older guys, they all consider DBRC a kind of top 50 great worker, basically. Don't right. they? I mean, yeah. Um, he seems to have great respect among his peers, which, I mean, is something your mileage may vary on how much stock you put into that. But Yeah. When he said I was notable for being both, I, I think he was referring to that kind of critical rep that he's got. Okay. Um. Uh, about the South Side wrestling, I won't go into, I won't bore you with the details of this too much. Um, but it was booked very traditionally that show. Um, very strong face heel divide. There were a ton of kids there. I'd, I think there was some family package that they put together. I, I like you've been to a lot more indie shows than I have, Chad. Um, are there a lot of kids at indie shows usually? Uh, at the ones around here, there's a good many kids. Yeah, they're kind of running around. So yeah, I mean, they, they that did kind of help things though, because these kids were proper marks. You know, they were well into it. Um, and maybe all kids are. I don't know. Uh, but they really cheered and booed. Um, every single guy on the card did a big line in working the crowd, whether they were face or heel. The heels properly healed it up, and they did all the usual uh, kind of heel tricks um so yeah it was it was a pretty good show everybody was solid everybody had a good look everybody had a promo package titron pretty good production values 
that, that's another thing, Chad. Do um do indie promotion centers give their guys music and Titantrons now? Uh, not not Titantrons. Even uh, I mean, Ring of Honor had kind of a, a widescreen TV that they had up above the entranceway at the Hammerstein show that I went to. But right. uh, I mean, the local indies. Uh, down here in Georgia, it's you just kind of come out of the locker room. Yeah, well, I was pretty impressed with that. I mean, the, the, they had basically a projector up above the a projector screen up above the uh, entranceway, and every guy had like a fully produced package uh, video package. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with that. They, they seem to like they seem to be doing really well. This company. Um, and uh, yeah, it was packed there. I'd, I'd, I'd probably say it was sold out. Um, there were a few moments where uh, th- there was this one guy who came out in a straight jacket, and the kids loved him, and they all like, all like simultaneously descended on the ring, and he was like surrounded by about 50 kids. It was a little bit surreal, and he wasn't wearing any um, he wasn't wearing any boots, and he kept on putting his feet up for the kids to touch his feet. I was like, What's, that's not right, is it? So, the, I mean, the, I think the crowd control could have been a bit better because there were kids running rampant for the first half of the show. Yeah, that's how it is here. There's a lot of uh, kind of seating arrangements go out the window at a lot yeah. of the shows down here. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, well, there was this, <laughs> there was this uh, guy who came out with a Hello Kitty bag, okay? Um, do you have Jaffa Cakes in the... Uh, in the states have you ever heard of jaffa cakes <laughs> i have no idea what that is <laughs> it's like a kind of um it's like a kind of orange biscuit i guess you'd say cookie um it's got like cake at the bottom and chocolate at the top and then there's like a kind of orange jello or orange jam in the middle of it um and he came out like throwing those into the crowd and things and his name was um loco imbecile <laughs> oh, God. and he, he came out throwing these Jaffa cakes everywhere and he, tr- he tripped over the bottom rope <laughs> the, ki- the kids loved that guy but he got squashed in about like two minutes so um, but the one the one worker I'd, I'd say to note down Chad because I know you still follow the indies to some extent mm-hmm. um, is a guy called Noam Dar D-A-R okay he's only 19 he easily had the most charisma of anyone on the show he worked the main event he did some amazing spots. He did a uh, fisherman suplex. Um, they were both standing on the apron, okay? And he did a fisherman suplex onto the edge of the apron. That was a really sick bump, and I've never seen that spot before. Um, yeah, he did some pretty... He kind of reminded me a bit of Lanny Poffo. <laughs> um, he kind of like... You know how Poffo is a little bit kind of camp and kind of arched his back, back you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, right. he, he kind of had that physique. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, if there was anyone on that show, I'd say who could have like a big career in wrestling, it'd be that guy. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he goes over the States in the next couple of years. I wouldn't be surprised if he cropped up in ROH or, um, some of the kind of super indies Uh soon. So look out for him. Probably has a good bit of stuff on YouTube. I know there's a ton of kind of British stuff that's on YouTube. So I'll yeah, work it out. Uh, the, the scene, the scene here seems quite emergent, and I, I'd probably go, um, I'd probably go to another one of their shows. You know, there were some good workers there, and uh, as a comparison, I saw that TNA show which Hogan was at 
last year. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, I, remember I mean, that. and Jesus, that that was awful. Like, I mean, the, the the very basics. I didn't know who was face or heel in that TNA show. I don't follow TNA at all, but you shouldn't just know just from being a member of the crowd, right? Who's the face and who's the heel? Yeah, Im- impossible to know during that. Um, but like the work was better. Or, or I I don't know. I I uh I was kind of quite impressed by uh, what they're doing there in Southside Wrestling. So if anyone is a, a UK listener, check them out. So Chad, I don't know how far we're in here, but uh, where the <laughs> where the big boys play is back after a month's absence. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> to say, yeah. Um, so one of the things, do you remember when I uh, when we were talking about those Gordon Soley um, uh, wrestling news networks, um, yeah. and it was mentioned by Meltzer that he was he actually mentioned Hogan and No Holds Barred. Right. And right. Do, you, do you remember I said if anyone's out there, uh, you know, I'd love to see a comp of the Gordon Soley. Uh, packages all in one bit. <laughs> well, God bless the internet. That's all I can say. Because Brick Hithouse, uh, who's uh, been a listener of ours for some time and uh, is active on the PWO boards, there, he makes some great uh, WF uh, comps, which one of which I bought. I'd strongly recommend uh, you you check those out. Brick Hithouse is his name. <laughs> he <laughs> has actually put together all of the solely bits that ever aired. On three DVDs, can you believe it? That's a pretty incredible uh, <laughs> task that he did, right? And I, I, I honestly, he he hasn't spared any time. Like, he, there's a menu, and each and every one of those packages has got a date on it. Nice. <laughs> um, it, he's 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 gone in, and it, he's even got like the intro bit, so I get the intro uh, of Solu each and every time. Oh, it's amazing! I can't, I can't believe that the thing that I just mentioned in passing actually exists now, uh, and I'm still kind of knocked out by it. <laughs> so, anyway, Chad, I thought it might be fun um, to go through all of the ones that up until uh, November '89. So he started doing them, I think, in uh, kind of June sort of time, around the time that um, Funk uh, first injured Flair. That, that's okay. kind, of, that's kind of when they start. And all of these solely news packages, if you've never seen them, kind of work in the same way, right? So he, he starts out uh, basically recapping the main angle, and it's usually Funk versus Flair, okay? Um, and, or he's hyping the next card coming up, okay? Then he'll have a moment where he goes into other news, okay? And the other news is when he talks about other promotions, and this was the bit that I couldn't believe exists. And he actually talks about WF and WF workers and things. Um, which, I mean, if you ever watched wrestling back then, you just didn't mention the competition, right? It just didn't happen so often. Yeah. Uh, even now. I, I mean, mean yeah, yeah. even now they don't talk about TNA on uh, WWE TV, right? Or yeah, vice versa. So, well, well, I don't know about t- TNA. Everybody <laughs> that comes out, you have Mike Tanay screaming, we know where this guy's from. But, uh, they're, they're, yeah. they're kind of rinky-dink TNA, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. <laughs> But but anyway, I I couldn't really believe that this went on. Um, And then after the other news bit, he goes into the top 10, which is kind of cool. He does a top 10 rundown of the top 10 contenders for Flair's title. Um, And then at the end, he says, a personal note, if you please. And then he starts uh, philosophizing. 
but but basically the philosophy is uh tends to be something about the main angle he'll go back to the main angle and give his like little take on it basically um so yeah they're kind of quite uh fun so i thought it might be fun to just go through um the bits where he talks about other promotions i thought this might be uh the, the bit of most interest okay okay so in the very first one um he so you'll you'll notice a pattern emerging here okay he mentions the movie No Holds Barred starring Hulk Hogan. He sa- and he says it's receiving very mixed reviews and it's sliding down the box office, but it's still holding on to a top 10 slot. But for how long remains to be seen. <laughs> so they, they did. They, he did cover No Holds Barred, but in a very particular way. He mentions that uh, Dustin Rhodes uh, was the youngest ever Florida champion. Uh, quite interesting that Rhodes was wrestling in 1989 there. Um, not long for him. He goes to WF not long after that, right? Kind of, uh, well, he yeah, I mean, he doesn't show up in WWF till, uh, until late 1990. Right, so okay. Yeah. Um, he, he does mention that Lex Luger was ousted from Miami for bad behavior, which I thought was quite interesting. And he, I think he mentions that later on Clash 9 as well, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jake Roberts has suffered a severe neck injury. We wish him well, says Scorden. <laughs> so, obviously, Roberts was working for WF at this time. This was an interesting little one. Uh, Lord Al Blears, uh, who you all know from AWA, is saying... Al or James? Uh, no, J- he said Al, but uh, it's James Blears. It's James okay. Blears, right? Yeah. Um, yep. He's setting up a new uh, federation in, in Hawaii... Uh, with UWSA of Japan. So I've never heard of that promotion. I don't know if it ever... I don't recall Melson mentioning it at all, but um, that's what Soli said. Uh, the Nasty Boys have become the new Florida tag champs. Um, I didn't actually know the Nasty Boys were around at that point. Yeah, I guess that's... Uh, I guess that kind of bridges the gap from them from their uh, AWA run till their WCW run. Yeah, they went to Florida. Um, now, Rick Rude, <laughs> get this. Uh, I wonder if you know what he's talking about here. Uh, Rick Rude, of course, is known as the uh, master of the Rude Awakening. But Rude himself received a very Rude Awakening when he faced the Ultimate Warrior this past week. What was he talking about? <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he was talking. Ab- <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was talking about the moment where um, Rude's trunks came down. In that ma- in that in that uh, match at SummerSlam. Well, that, that happened all the time, didn't it? Uh, I think it, I. Th- <laughs> I don't know whose ass I've seen more of, Rude or Flair's. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that your mum saw uh, Flair's. Uh... Yeah, for, and my mom is still like taking therapy to this day from seeing Flair's ass, but. Uh... So, so you can see, like, he's bringing up WF guys, but usually to bury them, in or like to have a subtle dig. <laughs> Um, Antonio Inoki is injured uh, and will now run for office um, Crusher, Crusher Blackwell has, uh, is recovering from pneumonia they wish him uh. well uh, he, he pretty much uh, didn't that kill him? Mm, I don't know I, I, I don't even know really when uh, Blackwell died I mean I'm sure he's in terrible obviously he's in terrible probably physical shape by then so uh, in AWA, the Olympians have uh, 
returned after an injury suffered at the hands of the d- uh, destruction crew. You must have been. Have you seen the Olympians yet? Uh, they have not showed up yet on the <laughs> set. So. Um, Robert Gibson and Sam Houston have teamed up. Interesting little team. I didn't know if Robert Gibson was forming rogue tag teams on the side. Um, I don't know where. He didn't actually mention where the Rock and Roll Express were at this time. or where I, I'm guessing it was Florida. Because it, it, it seems like they only cover WF, Florida, and World Class. Those are the only three promotions I ever hear him talk about, or Japan in general. Um, okay, so, so, so get this one. Have you, this is the first I've ever heard of this, okay? In the World Wrestling Federation, says, uh, says Gordon Soley, Bobby Heenan uh, has walked out of his TV show after a dispute with the management and the owners of the company. He said... He's totally disgusted and has started um, making plans for the future. So they're strongly hinting that Bobby Heenan's coming over to NWA here. Have you mm. ever have you ever heard of that before? No, that's a uh, a new one on me as well. And, and and Bobby Heenan did have like his own like TV half hour, like a the Bobby Heenan show for like a half hour slot in 1989. I know. Um, I don't know if he's talking about that, but. Bobby Heenan didn't leave WF at that point. <laughs> so I don't know if this was like semi-kayfabe or something, or if they were just shit-stirring, but um, it was quite funny that he mentioned it. Uh, Ricky Steamboat has left the NWA, um, and he's got a foot injury, and he's receiving surgery for it. So it was interesting that they mentioned that. Um, in the WWF, the former... The, right, so get, get the, I'm going to try to re- recreate Soli's uh, intonation here. He says, in WWF, the former NWA Tag Team Champions, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, who were defeated uh, before they left by the Midnight Express, have now gained the new World Tag Team Championships of the WWF. So, so the clear message here is that um, uh, the guys who were beaten by the Midnight Express are now the WF Tag Champs. So... <laughs> It's kind of pretty cheap. Yeah, some 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 of these, uh, I guess, news items are sort of damning with faint praise. Yeah, that's that's kind uh, of the t- that's kind of the tone of uh, most of them. Sort of a strategic avoid uh, what news bits he reports. So in world class, Eric Embry um, is taking on Py Too High. Py Too High. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the future of WCCW hangs in the balance. Yeah, that um, actually is uh, kind of the the uh, the angle where they the big thing where they uh, they throw down the big WCCW banner in the sportatorium and essentially in the promotion. Uh, after that, it would be a part of USWA Texas and then global. USWA, yeah. So that's the formation of it, is it? That uh, that Eric Embry match. Yeah, that's kind of like the main event feud for the last uh, for the last big angle in world class so history. It, it was it like well, we we can talk more after. There's only a few more of these left. We can talk more about these solely segments because um, I've got a feeling that after this little period that I'm covering here, they stopped doing it. So around the time of Clash Nine, for example. Um, he stops mentioning the other promotion. So it was something they only did in like the first three months. It's kind of interesting. Um, the, in NWA-related news, uh, the Iron Sheik has been coming uh, to the ring with Ron Simmons. 
and I've just written what the what? <laughs> Do you have any recollection of the Iron Sheik and Ron Simmons? Uh, that was obviously an angle that never took off. Yeah, that seems like I, I don't have any recollection of that, and that seems like one of the most uh, strange pairings <laughs> that I can think of. Yeah, and um, Gordon Soley even said like this is a suggestion that Ron Simmons has taken on not only some of the Iron Sheik's philosophy, but some of his theology as well. So it was like a suggestion that he's become like a Muslim or something. I don't know. Okay. But slightly bizarre. He did become uh, Farouk. Later yeah, on. I know. Pro- prophetic. He'd be like the nation of domination in 1989 here. Yeah. <laughs> um, Eric Embry now controls world class. So the future of the company is in doubt. So yeah. that actually happened. Um, now, get this. This is the biggest piece of news. And I couldn't believe it. Don King has been negotiating with Theodore Arlong about the possibility of Mike Tyson going up against a wrestler. <laughs> so, uh, interesting that they were talking about this as, as far back as 1989. And I don't recall Meltzer mentioning this at all. Um, and I don't. I, I also don't know if Soli was just like slightly making some of these up. I don't know. Um, that, one, that one smells a little fishy, but... Yeah, it's it's weird that 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 would be a news item there in 1989. And Tyson is a wrestling fan. Yeah, always has been. But uh, I, I I mean certainly I don't think at the very least Teddy Long's not one negotiating if he was going to come in at any point in time. So the Japanese media have voted uh, Steve Williams um, one of the three toughest men in all of wrestling. So nice bit of hype for Doctor Death there. Jake Roberts is still out of action. Ricky Santana's injured. Uh, <laughs> there's a personal note from Soli. He says he's disheartened that wrestling has um, is going the way of uh, of basketball uh, and is going to the courtrooms. Um, <laughs> so I thought he was going to start talking about like the steroid trial or something, but he did he didn't. Um, he was actually talking about Terry Funk's suspension. And he used to, he like he gets really you know how serious Soli can get. He, he basically says that um, wrestling should stay out of the courtrooms. That you know, yes, Terry Funk should be suspended, but it doesn't need to go as far as that. So, um, I, I don't like. There was a thing with the state commission, wasn't there? Like they genuinely got upset about that plastic bag thing. Right. I think. Um, so get this right. This is the most surprising of all of these um, bits of news that Soli uh, mentioned. He says, uh, "Jake Robert is back." And wants revenge on the Million Dollar Man. Um, now, he didn't say anything else about that. And that was the only bit where he's... I mean, he's essentially just reporting on the angles of another promotion there. It's really weird. Like That is weird. Um, uh, Eduardo Perez has died. Um, and the we get quite a lot of shots of the construction of the Thunderdome. Um, by muscly mm-hmm. by muscly blacksmiths, and around that time, around Halloween Havoc, he basically drops the um, news on the other promotions. <laughs> um, interesting little experiment there uh, that they were doing. What do you think of those? <laughs> what do you think? That's basically all the news that Sody gave on other promotions. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something to kind of make, I guess, your program more, I guess, sports like. It's, it's, I don't know, I always kind of go back and forth on that. It's not terrible, but it does, just from you reading it, it gives the perception, if I was a viewer at that time, that he definitely was kind of cherry-picking what he reported on. Yeah. Uh, for it, their benefit. 
the, the, the only weird one was the, the was when he said uh, that Jake Roberts wants revenge on DBRC. I don't, I didn't understand that. Like, I mean, it, so all the other times he brought up the WF, he was basically burying them. Apart from that one time where he's just reporting on them. Strange. Um, but anyway, thank you, uh, Brick Hithouse, uh, for that. And um, these solely uh, things are going to have an ongoing, uh, an ongoing uh, use for us because he, they do actually do a pretty good job of summing up the build before each show, <laughs> which right. is which is exactly what we want, isn't it? So, um, getting on to Clash of the Champions nine, and uh, I've got both uh, Meltzer and Soli to draw from. So the kind of kayfabe and backstage uh, version of things. Very, there's not a lot on the, the Meltzer. Very quick. Um, Kevin Sullivan was pulled from the Woman and Doom angle by Jim Hurd because management believed that he'd take heat away from Woman. It's quite interesting. Um, so that's the reason that Sullivan uh, isn't involved, wasn't involved in Halloween Havoc or, or in Clash. Um, Tommy Rich has suffered a broken eardrum, but obviously it wasn't enough to keep him out for long. Uh, Lord Littlebrook, uh, who I'm sure you've seen on that AWA set in that midgets match. Yeah. Uh, he, um, he is set to manage the New Zealand militia. <laughs> yes. So and what to do. <laughs> who are the New Zealand militia again? That would be, uh, our favorite Jack victory. <laughs> and, uh, Oh God. What's the other, guy? the guy that was like the flag bearer. Yeah. Oh, was oh his... man. Oh, I just went blank. <laughs> uh, Rip uh, Morgan. Rip Morgan. Rip Morgan. Yeah. The former manager of the sheep herders. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, now Meltzer's got a little bit. Okay. So we don't see Lord Littlebrook on this show, do we? We haven't seen no. him yet. Um, yeah. yeah. Weird to have a midget manager. I mean, you can barely see it. You can't see over the apron. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a, seems antithetical. Um, so Meltzer starts uh, attacking Doom here. He says, can you name one masked act that has gotten over since the new era began? And I guess the new era is, you know, from WrestleMania 1 onwards or from Starcade 83 onwards. Um, Doom won't get over either, he says. He thinks t- today's fans equate masks with jobbers, basically. Uh, which is something that we see on, that we have seen on a number of shows, isn't it? Um, is he right? Can you name a single masked act that has gotten over since the start of the new era? Hmm... There hasn't been a ton, honestly. Uh, I'm trying to think of any... With Demolition Master originally, what, back when it was... Uh... I, I mean, I've seen matches when Moondog, Randy Coley, was with them, and they still, he had on the face paint. Face paint, so, yeah. Yeah, they, I they, mean, maybe maybe at the very, very beginning, but... Uh, they, they came out with the mask, didn't they, where they took them yeah, off? Yeah, yeah, they would come out in the mask and then removed them even up to the end of their run. But uh, I can't really think of a tag team. I'm drawing a blank on another tag or, team or, that or, was or, masked. Or any masked act. Masked superstars? The machines, I guess? Yeah. It's, as far as a tag team, it's very tough. Slim slim pickings, really. The ding-dongs? 
Um, so right, so so get this. This is the last bit of news from uh, Meltzer. It wasn't a, a bumper crop. Giant Gonzalez, or a guy, or, or a guy uh, known as a El Gigante, <laughs> assigned to uh, train with Hiro Matsuta in Florida on a three-year deal. And Meltzer calls him um, a definite crapshoot. Uh, yeah, well. because, because size is all. <laughs> and he predicts big things for El Guillante, which was re- quite funny. <laughs> it's quite funny to read from our vantage point. <laughs> yeah, they definitely tried, as we'll go into, but uh, how, didn't how, quite work out for the Gigante. Uh, did you meet him on your WrestleMania travels, by the way? <laughs> Gigante did uh, make some cameos. <laughs> right. Um so, oh yeah, the, the only other thing uh, from Meltzer was that he he uh, he talks about uh, Funk's various previous retirements, and he he says that um, this recent run, even though it's drawn more money than anybody else uh, for NWA, this Funk versus Flair feud, um, lots of people have said that it went on too long. That for a guy for a guy Funk's age, he was on top for too much of 1989. Any thoughts on that before we? Uh, Move on to Sony. Um, and- yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think so. I think the the uh, timing of this feud has been appropriate. I mean, it's only been like a half a year. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not seeing it week to week, but it's certainly heated on this show, and it's the climax. So. I, I'll ask you one other question: Can you name another six month run as great as this one? Mm, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know. There's a lot, even on the uh, in AWA set, the Midnight Rockers versus Buddy Rose, Doug Summers. I mean, that yeah. feud is uh, goes a while, I, I, and it's I, it's really good. I don't mean um, I don't mean in terms of feud. I mean in terms of Funk's run, where a guy comes in, he's there for six months, and he's gone. I I, I, I know Funk doesn't actually go, but he essentially stops wrestling after this, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, it, he, it's certainly one of the best, I guess, short runs in a promotion, but that's kind of Funk's uh, protocol, so he yeah. sort of I, has a couple of these. Can you, can, can you, can you think, can, I mean, I'm putting you on the spot a bit, uh, but I'm trying to think too, of somebody who's had that much impact in a short space of time, they're there for six months and, and they're gone. I don't think that high on the card. I mean, I, I mean, again, Rose and Summers are only in the AWA a year. And I don't think the the top top matches are as good as uh, what what about you know, like the Great American Bash, but they're very good. What about Brock Lesnar? He's had a couple of like shortish ones, hasn't he? Uh, I mean, mainly his only thing. He, it's, it, I mean, he came back, and uh, he only came back last year after WrestleMania and wrestled the one match, and then he was out till SummerSlam. So and, right, okay. And, I mean, the match with Cena is incredible, but that's really the only match from his three that I've liked. I haven't liked the two Triple H matches. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even trying to compare Brock Lesnar to Terry Funk. I'm just. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of anybody who do. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think as far as if you combine the match quality versus the uh, versus the impact as far as business wise, hey, hey, it's gonna be tough. You know, there's one staring us in the face. You know, Ricky Steamboat. He did, but uh, 
I mean, well, how long was I guess his run? Yeah, was only for six months too. That's that's probably your closest closest comparison. Yeah, interesting. But I mean, which one would you say was better, Funk or Steamboat? <laughs> that's oh, that's incredibly tough. I would guess if forced to choose, I'd have to go with Steamboat. Yeah, just because you're talking about three matches versus two, and he has the Luger match, but uh, but both are great. Okay, so um, I, let me. Do, there's only two little solis here between uh, between us and Clash Nine now. Um, he's uh, on, on the third of November. He's um, at he's backstage at the Philly Civic Center still. Uh, he basically gives us a recap of Havoc uh, '89. But the main news here is that there are seeds of dissension between uh, the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette, um, and basically they've hinted um, that Cornette may be leaving the Midnight Express. Um, hmm. And he says that the identity of Doom is still unknown. Yeah. And then <laughs> he just basically runs down the shells uh, Clash 9. Um, and then on the 10th of November, he says that he mainly talks about um, Dory and Terry being the only brothers to hold the NWA titles. Right. He, he says that Dory Funk Sr. was known as the king of the Texas death matches um, and he raised his sons not to quit. And then he talks about Flair as a six-time cha- uh, champ and explains the rules of the I Quit match. Um, and he said, uh, he says, two future Hall of Famers are involved in this match, which I thought was oddly prophetic, because they are both two, f- they are both in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> um, and that was it. So, actually, not not too much news from Soli. <laughs> yeah. uh, right, so, Clash of the Champions 9, uh, where were they? They were in uh, R- RPI Fieldhouse in Troy, New York. Right. On the 15th of November, 1989. Um, Terry Funk starts out uh, and he says, I don't want your belt, I want your pride. And then Flair talks about pride, guts and integrity. Yes, were you pumped going into this? Were you ready? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like this because it kind of set the tone the match right out of the gate where uh, it's, it's I mean in, in a blood feud like that I don't have a problem with them saying you know it's not about the belt it's about you know them basically the pride and the somebody saying I quit so I thought these were good short promos to kind of give you the tone of the show yeah and they'd kind of position Terry Funk as a legend and they kind of like somebody who's above the belts type thing and and a little unhinged i mean i think he the way they positioned him where if if he obtains the belt in the course of destroying rick flair so be it but he doesn't have to kind of establish himself as the champion that's not his i guess motive in what he's trying to accomplish right um so our hosts here are jim ross and Gordon Soley, uh, on color. Uh, interesting. Um, and I'm going to say right off the bat, I much prefer Soley in this role than Bob Cardle. Yeah. Uh, Soley was very good here. Yeah. And, I mean, and, he was very good. This and, is probably, uh, kind of cool. You know, he, he, he was good on this show. And my thought was, cause I mean, famously we, we, we ragged on Soley, um, on the Starcade 83 and 84 shows. Our, our very first shows. Um, I 
got the impression it's because he didn't know what was going on in the promotion. He was kind of an outside guy being brought in. Like, he was basically a Florida guy in 1983 who was brought in for that one big show because he was Gordon Soley. Whereas here, uh, because he's fought, because he's aware of all the storylines, he knows what's going on, he was well-prepped, basically. I think that was the big difference. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, to be fair with Soli, uh, his sobriety for some of these shows is also a deciding factor. But because uh, even I know even in the 1990 stuff, I've seen him call. He hasn't been near as good as he was here. So <laughs> it's kind of yeah, I did kind of up and down for him. I did notice him having like a cup of coffee or something during the show. Yeah, I, I was yeah. wondering what I was wondering what was in the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, first match. Um, oh yeah, the, the, my other little note here is that Jim Ross does look like he's lost a little bit of weight from earlier in the year. Because <laughs> um, he was like getting pretty lardy. Uh, <laughs> I, I noticed kind of around the summertime. Yeah. Um, but he was also sweating a lot, so I I, I don't know if that uh, made a difference. What was that show? That the one in the army camp? Yeah, Clash <laughs> Seven at Fort Bragg. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Ranger Ross show. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So the fabulous Freebirds come out, and they're still the World Tag Champs. It's quite a lengthy run for them. Technically, now that's yeah. That's one of the kind of cool things in that yeah. they actually had lost the belts at this time, uh, but it hadn't aired yet. Uh, Ross alludes to the match during this match and they they actually don't come out with the physical belts here so uh yeah that, that's right and uh, melter did mention that actually uh yeah. i wasn't sure i wasn't sure whether to mention it or not but you're right it's, it's essentially the steiners right who they who they um, yeah if, if, i mean if you're going by a uh, timeline standpoint the steiners had already won but it just had not aired yet so yeah um but yeah i mean that's still quite a lengthy reign for them it was what, a good six months yeah, pretty good rain for them, uh, yeah. as far as time-wise. Uh, they're taking on the Row Warriors, um, who really d- seemed to be, like, I, f- I felt they were coming back, but again, they feel like they're stuck in a bit of a no-man's land again on this card. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- this, I mean, this is kind of a, a kind of weird spot for the Road Warriors, as... As we'll see later on this show, it builds to what happens at Starcade, and that's kind of another indication on where the Freebirds are headed because they're not even included in that. So, yeah, but they, they do stick around, don't they? The Freebirds. Yeah, they, well, yeah. they shockingly even have another uh, tag title reign coming yeah. up. So. They just get worse and worse, I think. Um, yeah. Now this crowd is pretty hot, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you make of this match, uh, this opener? This is one of the most. Uh, we've watched a lot of shows now. This is one of the most, I guess, nothing matches I think <laughs> we might have seen. I mean, it is it is five minutes. The Road Warriors come in and clean house for most of it. Animal misses a a, a shoulder charge in the corner, and the momentum shifts to the Freebirds for. For just a minute, and then uh, you have one of the one of probably my least favorite and dumbest finishes that we've seen, where you could really tell they didn't know who to book or how to kind of book a finish for this match because 
Hulk just essentially comes in and says he's had enough of it and shoves down the ref, getting themselves DQ'd, uh, which made him look like a complete idiot with no patience. So as far as a match, this was nothing. I mean, not very good, but kind of as I was thinking about my end of show awards, I don't even know if you can give awards performance to this because they didn't do nothing. I mean, there was nothing here. My my main uh, criticism of this match is that I thought the uh, Freebirds offense looked really weak. Like, their punches and their clubbing and stuff, poor. Yeah, uh, I mean, very good. Michael Hayes usually throws quite a decent punch, but in this match, uh, I don't know. They weren't bringing it at all. Um, I didn't understand the finish at all. Uh, Tommy Young DQ'd Hawk, basically yeah. for staying in the ring for too long. Well, <laughs> he he did shove him down. He did shove Tommy Young down when he oh, kind of bum rushed in. Yeah, so oh, I, I guess I, I missed that. I, I actually thought he was DQing him just for being in the ring too long. Well, it was <laughs> it was still stupid because it was it wasn't even like the Freebirds were really trying to cheat or you know like a big moment. It was just. I, I think it was Hayes in the ring. He had a move on Animal, and then Hawk just comes in and does that, loses his cool. Now, the Road Warriors are this legendary team. Everybody, you know, there are a lot of casual fans who think they're, like, the best team ever, etc. Do you think by this point, like, we've really seen the best of the Road Warriors now, that, like, that they never recapture that magic that they had? I mean, they, they I know they go to WWF and, and whatnot after this, but, like... It feels to me that you can't, like, how long can this team carry on just kind of, you know, never getting pinned, bullshit finishes, um, when the bookers write themselves into a corner, like, just being these two monsters who never really seem to win the tag titles, etc. Yeah, I mean, I know personally I'm tired of them, but, uh, I mean, it's kind of tough because the crowd... In this match, and when they make an appearance later on in the show, the crowd really goes nuts for them. So it's yeah, it's kind of perplexing, but uh, I don't know. The, the, but do you think, like, even from um, a kind of in-ring perspective, that we've seen the best of these guys now? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I think as far as even from a peak drawing perspective, we've seen. I mean, they're on the downswing now. Yeah, uh, and especially in '90, I don't, I, I can't even remember if they're on some of the pay-per-views in '90, but I know in watching the yearbook, some of the matches, uh, they kind of just feel like another kind of mid-card tag team uh, uh, yeah. filled with a lot of. I mean, maybe like one step above the Young Pistols or something <laughs> like that. So not a yeah. certainly not the dominant focus of the tag division like they were at times before. Yeah, I, I really don't like those. I, I don't. You know, as you know, I do not like them as men. I think I think they're it. I think they're like typical kind of muscle-haired idiots. Uh, have you ever seen any of their shoots or anything? I, I've never, I've never watched uh, any of their shoots. It's, it's just that they 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 come across like guys who don't understand that it's not like the worst thing in the world to lose a wrestling match. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't, but. Uh... Oh, this this was this was a bad match. I mean, it, it was a nothing match with a terrible finish. So not not a good way to start the show. Um, Jim Ross is with Terry Funk and Gary Hart, um, and uh, he gives a series of comparisons here. Um, he says that where uh, Ric Flair likes to ride first class, he rides coach. Where Ric Flair drives a Mercedes Benz, he drives a pickup trunk. Uh, truck, where uh, 
Ric Flair lives life in the fast lane. He likes to live uh, life on the ranch. Quite a facey promo, I thought, from Funk. It was this yeah. kind of... Uh, like, were they kind of telegraphing a uh, kind of semi-face turn or respectful kind of turn from him? Yeah, I, th- I think they were kind of setting up that. I mean, I'm... I, I do think Funk's a guy where he kind of just says what he wants to say, whether it makes sense or not sometimes yeah. uh, in the overall big picture. So, I mean, on in one level, I did like this promo because of the contrast. And if it, if it was that forward thinking that they knew Flair was going to be turning on Sting in the future by this point, that was kind of cool to sort of, I guess, set the temperament for that uh, yeah. it, as long as him retiring. But, uh, but I, you know, who knows? I'm, I'm not sure if he knew that. And then Gary Hart says, "Remember, you're a Texan. Remember your father, your brother." Yeah. And then Terry Funk says, "You don't need. Uh, he doesn't need uh, Gary Hart's help or anybody else's help or Jim Ross's help." But then he walks off. Um, yeah, kind of like Gary Hart was weirdly aggressive there, wasn't he? To, uh, talking about being a Texan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I like Gary Hart on this show. I yeah, think I, as we go on, this is probably the best we've seen th- of him. Th- this is probably Gary Hart's strongest show from start to finish, I would say, yeah. from, from, from what we've seen. Um, yeah, and he, it kind of, it really made sense as well that, like, he's the manager, he's got a particular stake in Terry Funk, and right. that, that is what he'd be saying, right? I mean, yeah, it, it, pretty good. Then, Jim Ross is with Bill Apter. <laughs> Um, who's here to award the PWI's Most Popular Wrestler Award, which goes to... Stinger. Of course, it goes to Sting. Um, and uh, he's wearing a leather jacket, and he gets a trophy. He And he wants to give his thanks to all the little Stingers. He gave quite a weird little promo here, Sting. He was like, I could come, I could came up, come out and say I don't deserve this, but I do. Yes, yeah, Sting... Was Sting is I mean we've seen a good many indications of his promo ability or lack thereof yeah Uh, there's just something kind of weird and off on his tone and how he I guess he phrases his sentences Uh, yeah I don't know he's weird isn't he I don't know what his character is like I I I know I keep on saying it um, but he's like a bit of a dick (laughs) I don't really like Sting it's just like an overexcitable, yeah. kind of. I, I guess sometimes like an overexcitable loudmouth at a party or something that makes like the one inappropriate comment. Everybody, yeah. I mean, there's just some kind of like that with him. You you, you got to remember though, uh, Chad. This was the era when like Vanilla Ice would, you know, legitimately get to number one That's and true. stuff. So That's... I guess, <laughs> or like you know. What was the character of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Were they before your time? But essentially, like, the Turtles had the same sort of personality as That is true. That is a good point, because the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were, like, little prick smartasses. Yeah. Or like uh, like Bill and Ted, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's the same sort of character. Uh, I get, like, yeah. Or Bart, Bart Simpson, even. You know? Like, when The Simpsons first started. Um, yes, I don't know. Eighty nine is probably a little bit too early for Simpsons. I thought. Uh, I think they started though in like yeah eighty nine or ninety. 
So but, but yeah. you, you remember in that very first stretch of The Simpsons, uh, you know, do the Bartman was quite a big thing, you know. So uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think Sting is like kind of that type of character, which is like it. I've never me being me, I've never liked that character. I've always been quite annoyed by it. You know, right. I uh, I support heels, as you know. So um, yes. PWI wrestler of the decade is of course who who is it the nature boy the nature boy yeah i thought it might be uh, superstar billy graham for a second but <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and of course he's honored uh, and he hopes that the next 10 years will be as good as the yeah. last 10 <laughs> I, I noticed that too when he said that i kind of cringed i was like yeah not so much but uh wishful thinking I had, I, you know, I had a flash of him, like in '97, coming out and confronting Eric Bischoff. Uh, you know that moment on that Nitro. Mm-hmm. That is the moment that came into my mind when, when he said that. You know, he, I, I will maintain, up until '96, Flair's still good. Um, uh, as we, as we'll discuss on this very show, um, he, he, he does decline a bit, but he, I'd say he's still having good matches as late as '96. Oh, well, well, I mean, he had, I mean, his last quote-unquote match with Foley was a good match, but uh, I, I think as far as week in, week out, certainly the decade of the '90s were worse than his decade of the '80s. You yes. Know what I mean? yeah, no, I, absolutely. So. I mean, there's no like, I mean, even now, would we say he's the rest? I mean, he's my wrestler of the '80s, but is he yours? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as as we'll go on in these shows pretty quickly uh, coming up. I mean, I have a uh, actually a point in time at Wrestle War 1990. I feel like that may be the last time we see kind of this 1980s dominant the man flair, and the rest are sort of glimpses of a past. Uh, you know, tons of great moments, but he never felt like the guy uh, to me. You know. Uh... Chad, if you look through the rest of through the history books of where the big boys play, um, you have picked uh, Flair as MVP for something ridiculous now. <laughs> like, past, yeah, well, so. <laughs> I know. I mean, I know when we started the shows, it felt like we weren't picking him because in those early shows where it was usually just a Starcade or the uh, Great American Bash were the only two shows. He didn't perform. I mean, his Starcade matches were kind of hit and miss. It, what was that who he was up against but he's working dusty uh, a lot wasn't he yeah with dusty and that that cage match with race that we're not crazy about but i would say from starcade 87 the match he has with uh with garvin on as far as the big shows he is by far the uh, best performance we've seen which is kind of weird because uh in a lot of ways that's when a lot of people think he sort of started declining week to week yeah. A little bit like 85 is usually uh, shown up as one of his best full years uh, here and at all the promotions he went to, but not in the big shows we've watched. No, I'd, I'd absolutely agree with that. Um, okay, so um, we go from this now to a, uh, uh, a little interview with a woman who looks like she's wearing just a bra. Did you notice this top? The sh- yeah, I mean, she looked good. She she has got a huge cleavage, uh, and um, she says she's got a surprise in store for Rick Steiner. <laughs> so, uh, 
So not a bad little. I mean, it was kind of quite yeah. pantomime villain, but yeah, she's still pretty stiff on promos. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, not terrible. Yeah, she she's better than what we saw of Missy Hyatt. Um, and then Gordon Soley on commentary (laughs) I'll tell you something Jim says uh, Gordon Soley she's an evil person but she sure is pretty (laughs) kind of quite (laughs) big big words from Gordon yeah I I I always like it when uh, when it's like one of the older gents in the booth you know Bob (laughs) Cop Either Bob Coddle or Soli or like one of the guys from that generation, kind of right. making pervy little comments. Um, so second match on the card: Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert. So Tommy Rich must have had his uh, busted eardrum at this point. Uh, are taking on Doom, still in the masks. Tommy Rich, I noticed, was booed by some coming out, um, and Soli says that he doesn't know how much expe- pro wrestling experience Doom have, have had. Um, which is one of the biggest lies told by anybody on this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, before we get into this match, um, Soli, as he did throughout the show, kind of like he obviously was told to shill certain things coming up, um, which was interesting given that like usually Jim Ross does this sort of thing, but um, Soli was doing it on this show. And um, I just noticed their kind of dates. They're working New Orleans, St. Louis... Pittsburgh and Ohio. Now, who is who is doing the uh, kind of planning for the NWA at this point? Like, why don't they? Why don't they just kind of do their dates logically? Why 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 do they have to crisscross the country in this way? I don't know. Uh, one of the most perplexing thing I don't know if he mentioned it in this match or not, but I know he mentioned it on the show was the uh, Thanksgiving show at the Omni. Yeah. And that, I mean, Starcade's at the Omni, uh, so <laughs> so they had this show at the Omni on Thanksgiving night a couple of weeks before the Starcade show, and I tried to find results for the uh, Thanksgiving show, and uh, only was able to find the main event, which I guess was Flair versus Muda, right. but uh, I, I can't believe they ran that close together, uh, you know, really three weeks, almost two weeks apart. Yeah, it, it, I, I, I was slightly puzzled by uh, the kind of road schedule that both of the companies had at this point. Because WF, like, if you look at the dates that they run, it's not like that they, like, if I was booking it, I'd think, right, well, I'm going to work down the East Coast, and I, I'm basically just going to tour it, you know? You're going to go from town to town, essentially. But they, they don't do that. They kind of, like, they'll do, like, New Orleans one night, then we're going to go to Pittsburgh, then we're gonna to go to Ohio. It's like, why, do, why do they do that? Why don't they kind of just work their way around the country in a in a not, like in a logical fashion? Yeah, that makes no sense. But it's WCW. But but like uh, Vince did it as well. Like if, if well Vince at that point though I think had more rhyme or reason because they had the split crews. Yeah, they, in fact they had three different crews working. Yeah, around, yeah. yeah. So. Okay, um, so. Yeah, what did you make of this one? I was uh, actually kind of looking forward to this match, and it started out fairly good. Uh, To me, uh, Gilbert and Rich is kind of a fun makeshift tag team, but they did a 
couple of few unique things in the very beginning, and then it essentially turned into a squash match. I yeah. thought Doom Doom looked okay, but again, this is two matches in a row where not a whole lot of substance happened within the match. This was better in the opener, uh, just because of the offense and Rich and Gilbert's little touches. But I was kind of disappointed because I thought they could have had like maybe an eight to eleven minute competitive match, and we only got about a five minute squash. This match signaled to me that they're going to use Tommy Rich as a lower mid card now. That this is his, like his kind of run in the, because one of the things I noticed going through those Soli segments is that Tommy Rich was like constantly like four or five in the top ten rankings. Okay, so yeah, so, he's like, getting phased down. Yeah, I mean, this was basically like a glorified squash match, as you said. Right. Uh, my, my one note here is that uh, Butch Reed, I think it was, had some really nice looking offense in this match did a side slam and a suplex and a neck breaker. Um, which is the first time, really, that Butch Reed has looked anywhere near like the worker he is in Mid-South for me. Um, like, he's been a real disappointment on the on most of the shows that we've seen him, Chad. Because, um, like, he's really good in Mid-South, like in the 84, 85 sort of time. Uh, and, yeah, he just kind of had a shade of being good again. Yeah, he's he's very inconsistent. I think he's one of the most inconsistent workers I can think of. Where uh, I mean, if he's on and firing on all cylinders, he's great and could be one of the best performers of the night. Or if he's off, he could be one of the worst performers. I can't really think of that many other people that are kind of like that. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Uh... I, I thought Doom looked alright in this match. They looked pretty good. Uh, yeah. You know, it did a decent job of, uh, you know, prolonging their push, I guess. Right. Um, the, Louis, the Louisville Slugger now, which oh. is uh, <laughs> Jim Cornette's kind of Piper's Pit style segment. <laughs> oh, and I should mention, do you remember that uh, I said I went to that show, that West, uh, that, uh, what was it called? West Side Wrestling Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one, the one thing is that there was this uh, kind of quite fat guy um, who was like a, a manager for that promotion, um, and he debuted that night, the Golden Tongue, and uh, he was building it. Uh, he was saying like, uh, "This is going to be a segment to rival Piper's Pit." Um, yeah, he was. Uh, it, he didn't really have the uh, charisma of Piper or Cornette, to be honest. Um, so. Uh, the Steiners are, are, are out with Jim Cornette. And this is the moment where they named the Frankensteiner. Cornette asks him, what's the name of the, that move that you do? Where, uh, you know, you, you you kind of put your legs around the guy's head and flip them around. Nobody's ever seen that move. And he called it the Frankensteiner. <laughs> and then Rick uh, Steiner comes, uh, who's wearing like a funny hat. I was thinking of you doing this, Chad. <laughs> um, he uh, calls Sid Herman Munster. So, are you familiar with the Munsters? <laughs> I'm not, that's before my time. I know who yeah. Herman Munster is. <laughs> I would not say that Sid, you know, besides being tall, really resembles Herman. So, uh, th- this was one of the worst Steiner promos. I mean, they, I, there's been some bad ones. This was... I was ready to punch Rick in the face because he he rambles about that. He talks about his mom slapping around his dad and Cornette even kind of 
you know, has to jump in and say, yeah, but your dad could, you know, take her or something like that if he wanted to, or it, it was just a mess. Like, I don't, I don't know if he was just flying off the cuff or what they, they said they could do the Frankensteiner to Sid at some point during this promo. This was a mess. I, I hated it. I absolutely hated this promo. Yeah. Rick did suggest that his mom used to slap them around. Which yeah, really, really... I was said said used to slap him around and could slap their dad around. So <laughs> I, I, it was awful. Um, and then Scott did say, "There's no one in the world that they can't suplex," which was a pretty stupid thing to say when you know you've got Sid coming up in the next match. Yeah, and then they don't do it. as yeah. we'll get to. But I mean, has Sid ever taken a suplex? I, I don't know. I, 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 I certainly have never seen Sid take the Frankensteiner, which uh, Scott claimed he could do. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, there's no um, delaying it any longer because the next match is the Midnight Express versus my favorites, the Dynamic Dudes. Their farewell. And I, I just written in my notes here, oh, fuck off, they've got bloody skateboards. Yeah, I think... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think when most people think of the Dynamic Dudes, this is certainly the match they sort of remember uh, with Johnny Ace and WWE with his character yelling at the skateboard and all this stuff. This is sort of the match they point to and remember the most fondly. Jesus Christ, I hate these guys. Anyway, yeah, Jim Cornette's being booed, uh, notably, and the Midnight's come out without Jim Cornette here. Um and uh, it's mentioned on commentary that um, Cornette has been advising the dudes these past few weeks. And uh, I have to say, I was a little bit disheartened in that moment. I actually lost some respect for Jim Cornette there. For, like, even if it was part of a plan, ultimately, for, like, even pretending to advise the dynamic dudes, that's losing a little bit of respect. Well, he, actually, he like, came out with them at Havoc <laughs> and was, like, their manager. So oh. he'd been... Yeah, I'm not happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, well, I'll let, I'll let you uh, give your thoughts on this. I, I thought this match was a lot of fun, actually, and uh, I kind of give the dudes credit because they've looked a little uncoordinated and reckless in a lot of their appearances so far. I thought this was the most composed uh, they'd looked, even though they were being booed mercifully um, from the crowd. I thought uh, at one point, Shane did like a dive over the top rope that looked really good. And just kind of the, the structure of this match was a lot of fun with Eaton trying to convince Cornette to, you know, help them and go to their corner and cheer them on. And they looked a little lost without his guidance. And at the end, of course, the main finish is it's all a swerve as uh, Cornette gets into the ring and hits the tennis racket on chain and reunites with the midnight express in a great moment. But, uh, the match overall, I thought was a good bit of fun. Uh, good match. Hmm. Well, I think you liked it a little bit better than I did. Um, yeah, I do agree. I did like all the stuff that especially Bobby Eaton was, seemed to be a little bit lost without Jim Cornette and, um, solely did a good job. Uh, or was it Jim Ross on commentary? Uh, of noting the fact that they'd been associated since 1983. Um, so, like, the, the, their relationship was the longest one here. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that worked really well. I like that as a kind of little sub-story in the match. Um, I actually hated uh, Shane Douglas. I mean, I hate Shane uh, Douglas at this age. 
I think he's absolutely awful. Um, he he was sloppy, I thought, and um, I just written he doesn't deserve to be in the same ring as Bobby Eaton. Um, and I didn't think Johnny Ace was much better. Um, Douglas had some horrible stuff in this match, I thought. Um, now it could just be my bias here, blinkering me against anything good that they do, but uh, I didn't like. I didn't really think that they. I don't know. They seemed as sloppy as they have in any in any other match to me. Like, what is it with these guys? Are they just green, basically? Like, they're just kind of a little bit. Oh yeah, I mean Shane Douglas at this time. You got to remember he was in the same training class as Mick Foley. Right. Yeah. I mean Mick Foley at this time was doing early indies. He wasn't even in the USWA uh, by. Yet, uh, he'd come in in a little bit to WCW as Cactus Jack Manson, and he was very green at that point, promo and in the ring. So, they're they're just really young. I I think Douglas, in particular, is too young, really, to be in this spot. And it's like, like, it's showing a lot, I think. Um, There's an awesome... uh, I I did enjoy some of the Midnight stuff. But my basic thought is that the Midnights were good and the dude sucked. Um, So that's my deep analysis here. Um, I did really enjoy the double cross by Cornette. I thought it was awesome. Um, And uh, I really loved the uh, shot of Bobby Eaton pointing and laughing at the the end. Did you you see him do that? Yeah, that was a very good uh, when they kind of reunited outside the apron that was a very fun facials i thought stan lane's kicks too uh, sometimes his kicks alternate between looking vicious and goofy i thought they looked good tonight so is that it for the dynamic dudes am i never am i ever gonna yeah. see those guys again mm, this pretty much uh spelled an end to them uh to their run so this is it for them thank fuck for that <laughs> i know uh, they're not gonna get any sort of big send-off from us i Fucking hate those. I, I, they're probably gonna be like, if I don't think I've ever like given them Billy Graham award, but if I was to give the ultimate Graham award, it wouldn't go to Graham <laughs> himself. It'd go, it'd go to those two. Um, right. Super Destroyer versus Steve Williams. Um, and I've just written in brackets. Is that Jack Victory? It is. It it is Jack Victory. Yeah, it is Jack Victory. Are you fucking. I've written. No. Is it Jack Victory? No, can't be. It's too big. <laughs> no, it is Jack Victory. This what? is the. Uh, what the this, hell? Yeah, this is the last of his uh, notorious run. You're talking about the dynamic dudes. This is somebody who's in uh, contention for my uh, award for that. How, and, can, uh, how can it possibly be Jack Victory? He was a 300 pounder. He's uh, been hitting the diet, I guess. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm. I didn't. Uh, I didn't bother to check it because um, I. I thought it'd be uh, fun for you to find out. But just... oh yeah, it's Jack Victor. <laughs> That's ridiculous. When are you gonna learn that anybody under a mask can WC? I'm, I'm shocked. I'm like, I'm literally shocked that Victory was not one of the ding dongs like during this run. I just can't believe how much weight he's put. How, like. He was about the same size as Shane Douglas, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he definitely looked like he dropped some weight, but uh, Raw still tried to put him over as a big guy. But uh, Santa Claus uh, oh. comes out during this match as well. 
Um, yeah. And it's Norman the Lunatic. Why, why was Santa Claus coming out in November? I don't know. This, this, I mean, there's, I guess we could talk, there's nothing to this match. It's a minute and 30 seconds. So, victory actually uh, kind, kind of redeemed himself because did you see the bump he took where he went and hit the table? Uh, yeah. He went to the outside and flew. I mean, that was a good bump. Yeah, it was. Kind yeah. of crazy bump, but uh, Dr. Death just destroys him, picks up the squash. Dr. Death was really wasted here uh, around this time. I think he could have been a lot better positioned up the card because we've seen him improve and He's kind of in this mid-card rut with Norman. I mean, Norman, I don't know what purpose that really served for this match. And it just seemed like a waste. Well, just to play devil's advocate a bit, what could he have done here? A feud with Luger, you thinking? Or what? A feud with Luger would have, for starters, been better. Even uh, I could have seen him even, as we'll get to in the main event, when Gary Hart sort of reincarnates his JTEX corporation. Yeah. I think he'd have been a, a good kind of stable upper mid card stableman for that. Well, now you mention it, he he could have had that spot that um uh what's that guy's name? Dragon Master or whatever. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, cuz uh well, we'll get to that later on, but um yeah, he is wasted in this spot. I'd agree with you. Um so I mean, Williams can work heel, right? He's, he's fine as a yeah, yeah, well, even, I mean, just find him a competent partner, which I'd have to look through the roster and find it. But, I mean, even finding him a competent partner as a face working, I mean, him and Tommy Rich versus the Midnight Express, that could have been a series of matches that would have been fun to watch and been serviceable at this time. Tommy Rich and Steve Williams is quite a good team on paper, actually. I wouldn't mind. Like, they could have done something. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, any thoughts on Norman here? It, I mean, he's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> he, he gave... Uh, didn't he give Steve Williams a teddy at the end of this match? Yeah. He, it's, <laughs> it's, I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. Well, <laughs> less said about that, the better then. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was two minutes. It's like a... Five minute segment from beginning to beginning to end, but uh, uh all right. Well, <clears throat> next match here, the skyscrapers still st- still together here. Uh, Sid and uh, <coughs> um, Spivey, Dan Spivey, still they're taking on the Steiner brothers. Uh, Rick comes through the crowd with uh, a big kind of box of popcorn, um, and Jim Ross says he's a sandwich or two shy of a picnic. Any thoughts on it? I know how much you like Rick Steiner. And... This, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. He just, I, <laughs> he, he just, he's just not a lovable goof character that they're trying to present him in my eyes. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I can't, I can't get behind him. <laughs> so, uh, um, during this match, Sid actually took a follow-away slam, or at least they called it that way. Yeah. Uh, and the Frankensteiner, or not? No, Sid did not take the Frankensteiner. Spivey took the uh, the Frankensteiner there. But they, they they were trying to claim that Sid took it, didn't he? Like, well, the, uh, I, didn't, I didn't catch that on commentary. I don't know. Uh, um, 
Yeah, what else was happening in this match? There were some quite awkward moments well, from that. Well, Steiner, one thing at the very beginning, he puts on Teddy Long's hat. Oh, yeah. And then yeah, does yeah. like a little dance <laughs> with it. Uh, yeah. I mean, this, this match, the first, first move in this match was a German suplex. <laughs> so they started out throwing bombs. Then immediately Spivey hits a tombstone. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, I mean, the crowd was going crazy, but uh, this was just kind of bomb, a bomb-throwing type match. Spivey at one point botched a drop kick really bad. Did you see that? That's when yeah. Sid hit the yeah. clothesline. I, I thought Spivey, and then he hit an awkward slam. I thought Spivey, again, looked reckless and uh, bad overall. Yeah, This it, is the match uh, where Sid injures himself. Is it? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. What, what, yeah, how did he in, how did he do that? I have no idea, but this is... Uh, I mean, I guess we can talk about the finish where this big chaos breaks out with uh, Doom coming in uh, to interfere, and they're beating up the Steiners and then the Road Warriors come out, which was supposed to lead to the Iron Man uh, tag showdown at Starcade and the crowd was going crazy for this. I thought that was actually cool when all the uh when all of them came out. But uh but as we'll see that uh the skyscrapers end up getting replaced by the Samoans. So and you, uh, th- th- there was another really awkward moment from Spivey actually when uh he goes for another tombstone and he can't quite like he can't quite get get it. Yeah, he does. It's like an awkward slam. It's, yeah, it's it, weird. Yeah, really weird. Like Spivey's awful. Like, really bad. Um, there it was quite a bomb crate. Did you see that giant who came out? Yeah. Do you know who that is? Um, well, I've just written here. That's got to be Kevin Nash. No, it's not it's Kevin. Not. Nash. No, it's uh, it's it's Nitron. Nitron. Good old Nitron. Uh, big Sky. Yeah, big sky. Was, yeah, yeah, big sky. Same guy. He ended up being a saber tooth in X Men. <laughs> oh, him. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's his debut. He's that was uh, that was woman's big surprise for Scott Steiner. He, uh, I mean, for Rick Steiner, he doesn't uh, hang around very long at all. Uh, pretty much when woman moves on to uh, Doom in early 1990, he. Falls by the wayside pretty quickly. Well, you know, I'm really shocked that's not Kevin Nash because he looks a hell of a lot like him. Yeah, he does look a little bit like uh, Oz, you know, yeah, yeah, Kevin yeah. Nash when he was Oz. Yeah. yeah well, that, that was my immediate thought because uh, that can't be too far away. I think it's 91, isn't it? That Oz stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. The, 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 like insane overbooking towards the end of this match um, with the. Who else? Did? The Road Warriors came out. Somebody else came out as well, didn't they? Yes, it's, it's Doom and the Road Warriors yeah, because yeah, yeah. they were going to do their little... That was going to be the four teams in the Iron Man match at Starcade, but uh didn't turn out that way because Sid punctured his lung somehow during the match. Yeah, and after the match, there's a weird promo from the Road Warriors, and I don't know if it happened on yours, but on mine, we lost the picture. Yeah, it just shows kind of like the Clash 9 graphic uh and it it was kind of a weird promo where uh, ellering especially kind of rambled on yeah um most of the row warriors promos are the same aren't they yeah <laughs> not very good um 
Yeah, well, they've got like one. I mean, there are some guys who've just got one promo, but it's really good. Like Rick Rude, really, has just got one promo. Would you agree? It's yeah, kind of, it's kind yeah, of a very. You have like a system that works, and you go for yeah. it. I mean, I mean, the Road Warriors, I think, sometimes could have a decent promo ability, but this one was kind of off kilter. So, next match for the U.S. title, still the U.S. champ, of course, Lex Luger, taking on. Flying Brian. <laughs> What's he? Um, so I was. I thought like on paper this looks like a great match for 1989. Right. Um, well, we just saw him have one at Havoc. So. Yes. So what did you make of this? Oh yeah. Uh, they, they just had this match, didn't they? Yeah. This is, yeah. A, re- this is a rematch. Yeah, yeah. Rematch from the Havoc match. Um, I, I did think this match was good, but I would be lying if I didn't say I was a little disappointed in it. Um, I mean, I thought it was a good match. Uh, <clears throat> Luger was being extremely arrogant in this match, which I yeah. thought was very amusing. And Brian had some good, like, uh, high spots with his missile drop kick, and he skinned the cat. Uh, and he worked over the arm, but, uh, I mean, this match is kind of perplexing for me because one thing that I liked about it is, you know, the knock on Luger is that he's not a smart worker. Yeah. And I do I do think in this match he did a couple of things that were very smart and that I liked how he gained the advantage on like a belly to back suplex. So he didn't really mm. cheat to gain the advantage. And he did a couple of other little nuance type moves when he was on top that were very strategically smartly worked and mm-hmm. The end of the match, he wallops Brian with the chair and then pins him for a victory, looking really proud of himself, which I enjoyed a good bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, I thought this was good, but I did like. I mean, I thought that Havoc match was great and was my match of the night, and this was kind of a step down from that. Yeah, um, yeah, it definitely wasn't as good as that match, but it was still pretty good. There was a few spots where Luger kind of like he. You see, like he really struggled on one of the gorilla presses, and he really struggled to like get a suplex over as well. Um, and I, it wasn't like kind of struggle in a kind of, you know, Bogwinkle versus uh, Billy Robinson type of struggle. It was more yeah. kind of like he was struggling because he didn't have the power, um, which is kind of uh, a bit weird. Um, that's the thing about Luger. Like he's got like that amazing physique, but I always get the impression that he's one guy who is kind of blown up after 10 minutes. Like He doesn't have great stamina, weirdly. Mm-hmm. I like, mean, his his matches are sort of paced a little methodical. Yeah. Um, did, did, the one thing I noticed about Pillman during this match is that um, uh, he like has a really good physique at this point in his career. And like he's got, like you know, that six-pack where it's kind of like it's more than a six-pack. It's more like it's kind of eight-pack or something. Yeah. Like um, he, he he loses that pretty quickly, doesn't he? Like by the time he's in Hollywood Blondes, he doesn't have that kind of. Yeah, I guess he was still more in his conditioning football type physique mode here. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, he does get definitely more kind of. At one point with the blondes, he got got a little more puffy, and then by the time towards his death, he almost seemed to get skinnier. So yeah. it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um. Yeah, these are two guys who are close to their peaks, I'd say. So it's it's going to be a good match. Um, I think Luger's got really good as a heel by this point. Like he's he's got that character down. I would suggest. Um, yeah, and it's 
almost nearing the end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, I, just, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, um, it, it, history would repeat itself as we've uh, yeah. talked about with Luger. Um, then after, so I thought this was good. Uh, yeah, same as you, about, about a three and a half, something like that. Yeah. Um, Sting hits the ring, and uh, calls Luger an arrogant snothead. <laughs> and the crowd erupts. Um, so yeah, I mean, we we mentioned turtles. Snot's head is the sort of thing that, like those guys would say. Um, <laughs> um, I I did like the way that Luger is quite an effective heel now, and he knows he's kind of like he he's smart here. He begs off, but not in a way that makes him look that weak. Just kind of like intelligently, kind of backs away. And then right. he slinks out of the ring and avoids any further con- confrontation, but not in a way that makes you think that he's a coward necessarily. Just that he kind of he doesn't want to get involved in this after this match that he's just had, type of thing. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I quite like him, you know, as a, a in this role. So I guess we're transitioning to Sting versus Luger now, uh, storyline-wise. Well, that's what it seems. That's what it seems to be. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think this was mostly to kind of build up to the Iron Man match stuff. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, been a while. it's been a while since I've uh, seen the old uh, Future Shock. Uh, shock, I need to watch it again. But uh, but uh, that was one of the very first WCW videos I had, incidentally. Um, oh. uh, Funk versus Flair. I quit. Main event time. Funk comes out with two Texans following him. Did you see these two guys? Yeah. I thought for a second it might be Dory. Dor- Dory, uh, his brother. But it, yeah. It, it, it wasn't no. him. Um, and Gary Hart. And Flair comes out with four women flanking him. So, And both the commentators play up um, Funk's father a lot. Um, which I thought was good. I thought they were really kind of getting over like Funk's heritage and how much this uh, means to him as well um and this is uh, an i quit match like uh tully versus uh magnum ta but not in a cage there's there's no cage here it's right ju- it's just the just a mic um and uh, at the start of the match he funk is shouting do you remember your neck uh, a flare which i thought was quite cool then he gives him a pile driver and then a pile driver outside which is kind of a sick spot. Uh, we mentioned that before, didn't we? How many people have taken the pile driver outside? Yeah. Um, I forgot that he does it again during this match because um, we've already seen him give him one. Um, so, this is a match with a big reputation, uh, Chad. What are your views? Um, I mean, I think it's a great match. Obviously, I, I mean, I'm actually the year candidate to me in most other years. I do think, and this will kind of get into a debate that's pretty topical on pro wrestling only right now, but I do think that. Yeah. But but uh, but the intensity was there. Funk was really pumping around like crazy, which was uh, great to see kind of as a wild man. And I appreciated you know, kind of the ebbs and flows with Flair coming back. And this has some great camera work where at one point uh, you see Funk just in the frame and then Flair comes flying in uh, on top of his back and starts pounding away. And then he 
sort of s- s- uh, slip and slides funk through the table where he slides across the table and <laughs> takes the bump. So uh, funk again was great in this arena, and Flair was really good too. It's kind of the standing tall babyface role, which is something you don't see uh, him do much at all. He's certainly not backing off or uh, playing the bitch in this match at all. <laughs> Uh, as a baby face. So, I, you know, I mean, just a great match. Has a big reputation. I thought it held up to it. And, you know, one of the best matches of the year. I still think I prefer the Great American Bash match, but I don't want that to be a uh, a slight on this one. Yeah, um, that, that spot you mentioned where um, Funk is kind of walking, uh, like he's near the railings, and, like, Flair kind of runs from off screen. Um, and jumps on his back onto the railings. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought that was a really cool spot because Funk couldn't have known he couldn't have known that Flair was coming. Yeah. Um, and yet, um, and yet he still. I don't know. I thought that was a really good, uh, a, like non choreographed spot. If that makes any sense. Right. Um, that you couldn't do if you were pla- if you were laying out a match, uh, move for move. It's kind of like they were clearly calling this stuff on the fly. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was a good great example of it right there. Um, the, uh, one slight, the one little comment I've got here though, is that the finish does seem a bit premature. Um, and maybe it's because I was watching this off the back of watching WrestleMania 29, (laughs) but it did kind of like, if, if it felt a little bit kind of like, I didn't feel like this was going to be the finish and he just kind of like submitted out of the blue. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if this show ran long because at the very beginning they said they had about 30 minutes left um, of TV time remaining and the match actually goes 17 and then there's a big post-match stuff so they probably didn't have a lot of time left but uh, I, I, I do think the finish was a good way to if you did want to try to get over the figure fours and effective hold yeah. this is probably the best example of that but uh but obviously we saw a million people turn Flair's figure four over. But yeah. for this match, I thought it worked. But, but. but Soli even mentions it. He says it can be reversed, you know. Yeah. Um, like in my mind, I was thinking, well, like this, there's bound to be a bit where he turns it round here, but it doesn't. Because clearly, I mean, well, you know, face face Flair's figures, face Flair's figure four is much stronger than heel Flair's yeah. figure four. I mean, I do agree that probably the other two most iconic I quit matches that this is compared against is uh, Tully and Magnum, which has the great finish with the uh, chair, the piece of the chair, and then Austin versus Brett with, of course, the sharpshooter and the blood. So those are definitely uh, more dramatic finishers than uh, we got here. You're forgetting one there, Chad. What's the other one? Brett Backlund. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> sorry i uh i thought i'd slip that in um okay uh yeah um so th- like everybody 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 will give this match five stars do you give it five stars because uh i'm not sure i do you know yeah i don't i mean i, I it's tough to say because it's either I mean, for me, it's probably either four and three fours or five stars. And even even as we're talking, I'm kind of rewatching it, and I love it. I mean, it, it may honestly be five stars. I'm watching right now the the spot I was talking about where 
font goes flying across the table. That is just that is just an amazing yeah. minute of wrestling because he goes flying across. Hart, uh, Gary Hart is over there too. The crowd is like incensed, like flicking him off. Security's pushing them away. Flair beats up Hart. Uh, a little bit, and then crotches funk right on the railing. So that I mean, this this it's definitely a great match. I mean, I, I I do think it's one of the best matches of the year. Uh, maybe not five stars, but uh, yeah. But the, the, the only reason I say that is because we've seen so many great matches in nineteen eighty. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough in a year like this because. I mean, if this would have been like something we'd saw in 1988, even, you know, which we saw some good matches in 1988, but something like this, I think, would stick out in that year more than in 89. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I, t- I tell you, the one thing, the one thing that pushes this down slightly for me is because I can't help but compare it to Tully versus Magnum TA. Mm. And, um, this match doesn't seem to have that kind of like, because you know they were talking about imagine how humiliating it would be, etc. Um, you know to say I quit, but when right. when when Funk says I quit here, it doesn't feel humiliating. Uh, it doesn't feel like he's kind of eating up his manhood in in the same way that it does when Tully quits. Yeah, you certainly don't get that. Uh, yeah, you definitely don't get that emotion that you feel. When Tully says, I mean, I think that's almost impossible though, to live up to, but I, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. So that, 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 that's the, like, if that match didn't exist, you know, I'd probably be much more kind of all over it and saying it's a, it's a, it's a five star, etc. But if, if that's kind of like your picture of perfection type thing, um, mm-hmm. this is ever so slightly, just those couple of things. I think the finish does seem a bit quick for whatever reason, and it doesn't, like feel as as emotional as uh as that but then we get this massive uh post-match as well yeah where, we um, get another great i mean this has been the year of post-matches <laughs> as well so so uh well take us through what happens here i think first of well, all is gary hart is involved yeah yeah right as soon as Bump says i quit gary hart comes in flips shit he throws his jacket down he's kind of shoving funk now funk at the end Essentially, turns babyface because he shakes uh, he shakes Flair's hand and tells him, you know, that he respects him or whatever. Flair, I did like that handshake because Flair, you know, they didn't embrace and hug and all this stuff. Flair kind of shook his hand aggressively and then raised his arm up, and then uh, Hart immediately attacks Funk. Flair comes to the rescue and starts beating up uh, Gary Hart, but then here comes the uh, the Dragon Master and Muda out to attack Flair ends up with Sting and Luger both coming out as well to set up the four four man Iron Man type match at Starcade, and then Flair ends up uh, destroying both the trophies that Sting and Flair got earlier in the night. So yeah. no trophy. Luger, Luger, Luger attacks them. Oh, Luger, oh yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Luger ends up uh, destroying both of those trophies <laughs> at the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, Bad no. News Brown style. Yeah, and the, the, the um the, Soli's like he's so childish. So, so yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, which, uh, which I thought the, the thing that really amused me during this whole thing was Jim Ross's call. The Japanese have attacked Flair. The, yeah. Jap- the Japanese. <laughs> 
Yeah, they were both going nuts during all this. It was pretty chaotic and fun. Uh, I mean, to me, they really, in this show, I'd kind of forgotten how well they honestly had set up Starcade because I was pretty pumped for both the uh, singles Iron Man and the uh, tag Iron Man from what we saw here. But that show, as we'll get to next, uh, I remember it being pretty disappointing. I haven't watched it in a while, but yeah. a lot of matches. Well, um, we've uh, we've got to the end here. I'll just very quickly go through Meltzer's uh, racings. You can just say uh, higher, lower, or agree. Obviously, okay. uh, for the ma- the main event, got five stars. Right. Um, which, uh, yes, you kind you. Uh, I mean, you... I, I'm not going to disagree. It, it's yeah. either that or very close. I mean, it's either four and three quarter or five. So yeah. Um, Luger Pillman, three and three quarters. That seems fair. I mean, I'd probably be a little lower, but no big complaints. Steiner's skyscrapers, three and, uh, three. Okay. Now here's the big <laughs> disagreements. Uh, three and a half, three and a half. Uh, yeah, that, that's really high for what we saw. Yeah. It didn't deserve that at all. I mean, oh. execution. Uh, I know we keep on mentioning it, but Spivey's just so bad. He's yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, then we got a. Uh, I can't believe that guy was Jack Victory. I still can't believe it. Uh, <laughs> one and one and a quarter for Williams versus uh, the Master. That I, I, I don't even possibly. I mean, to me, that's got to be a dud. I mean, maybe if you want to give a star for that bump Victory took, but I mean, it was a minute long. So uh, Midnight's versus uh, Dudes, three and a half. Now, see, that, uh, I know for you, that's probably ridiculously high. That, I'm probably, I'd, I'd probably be like three and a quarter. So that seems fair. <laughs> yeah, well, th- that seems ridiculous. Like, it seems ridiculous that he'd rank that the same as the Steiner's uh, skyscraper. Like, that's obviously a better match than that. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then Doom uh, versus Richard Gilbert is one and a quarter. And the, okay. op- the opener he gave, dud. Yeah, well. Which is fair, I think. Yeah, okay. pretty good. Right, so, end of uh, show awards then. Um, match of the night is obvious. Mm-hmm. Unless you're going to dissent. No. no. Yeah, uh, M- MVP. Oh, MVP is tough. I think, uh, I know it's been kind of characteristic, as we discussed on this show, for me to go to, with Flair in these yeah. big matches. I do think in this one I'm going to go with Funk. Uh, this is kind of, <laughs> I hate to say his last hurrah because obviously he had a ton of stuff after this, but this, this felt like a big moment and a great performance for him. And, uh, I mean, I guess this is probably the biggest he ever was, uh, in the big two after this. Yeah. I mean, really the only other thing I can think of is his stuff in the stud stable and then, um, him as Chainsaw Charlie or whatever. So as far as the big two's concerned, this is probably his peak. Yeah, the the the, the, the only thing I'll say about this Funk run is that um he lost every time in this. Like it's kind of weird booking where even in the tag match that they, they lost the tag match too, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. Uh, so it's kind of like how many feuds do you see where it's like loss, loss, loss? Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he was he was supposed to be you know in that tag match, but uh, he. Uh, was injured 
Yeah. Uh, the one where he put the bag over his head. But, I mean, they, it ended up being a disqualification, so I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, the two big matches, he pretty much lost pretty but definitively. I, I, I guess I guess you can argue that the, his victories were pile-driving uh, Flair on the table, the bag over the head. It's kind of like he got his victories outside, like outside of a match context, I guess. Yeah, I think that that is kind of understated that they did do a pretty good job in making it known that it's not necessarily the battle; it was sort of the overall war with yeah. some of this stuff going on. But uh, yeah, so. um, uh, my MVP. Uh, I will also give it to Funk as well. I think. Um, I think they were both great, but if, that felt like a Terry Funk match to me rather than Ric Flair match, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. And he did some great selling as well, which I don't think we mentioned too much. He's very right. good at selling a leg injury, is uh, Funk. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Billy Graham? I'm going to go with Spivey. <laughs> I mean, I, I just thought he he's dreadful. Reckless. So until he me a performance that's not that he's probably gonna be my winner and i i i i hate to be uh boring here we're just all three awards the same here but that dan spivey was my pick too he's just uh terrible terrible and like when you're tagging with sid it's pretty impressive to be like the worst performer yeah 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 when when you're having to be carried (laughs) over your tag team by sid not, not a good sign um yeah, just uh, other clash notes from Meltzer, he says. Uh, Gordon Soley and Jim Ross handled the announcing. It was a unique pairing, matching the best announcer of the 70s with the best announcer of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, the main event was a similar matchup, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not a big Soley fan, but his work added a lot to the main event. Uh, he did an excellent job in getting Flair over. Uh, and uh, after, in theory, he'd uh, already blown off at the house shows, blah, blah, blah. Um what do we think of this? Because I don't think we see this commentary team too often, uh, Soli and Ross. Yeah, uh, this, to me, seems like their most high-profile show, where it's just them two. Yeah. I, I, I think it's probably... I, I do like the Ross-Cornette pairing when, when we've had it, but uh, I, I, I definitely take it over Coddle-Ross. Yeah, this this was a pleasant surprise. I mean, this was definitely good, Gordon Soley, but uh, very good commentary tonight. Okay, well, uh, we've uh, we've reached the end, Chad. Should we should we quickly do some uh, comments here? Yeah, we've had a few comments um, on the Clash of the Champions Eight show uh, over at Pro Wrestling Only. I'm looking now. Loss uh, says I've been listening, and this is an excellent show. He likes the way. Uh, we flowed with no play-by-play, and then he's glad that you mentioned Cornette's commentary in Luger versus Rich, which was tremendous, which it really was in that match. Yeah, it was. Um, and then we kind of got into a, a missed discussion on uh, Muda's miss scale <laughs> and the progression of that. Uh, so if you want to read that, uh, Pete chimes in and says that Sid's whirly bird backbreaker, which was the expression I was trying to find when I was doing that. Uh, it's the same finish as our buddy Al Perez, the helicopter. Uh, he wants to say Oz used it as well. And then Doc Seropolis says, I'm looking forward to this show and hearing how much you enjoyed this clash, knowing it was the next show 
before we did the Havoc show with him. He watched it the other day, and he, he don't think he'd seen anything outside of the main event in Luger Rich. He was blown away, and it's easily one of the three best Clash of the Champions he'd ever seen. An immediate all-time favorite show, which yeah. I think he's, pro- he's probably a little higher on it than we were on that show but that it was a good clash i mean i think this show the uh the clash nine show is really carried by the last two matches yeah um and then and i guess the midnight express moment but uh when we're talking about an hour and 50 minute show if an hour of it's good that's pretty good uh ratio i guess yeah i i you know I, I have to say on balance clash feels like a better show than uh saturday night's main event I think it's probably slightly better show. Yeah. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I, I know this this is a little off topic. Saturday night's main event, like their big run was way after I became a fan or before I became a fan. Like I was after that. Yeah. But, uh, but it's something that I really don't have much nostalgia for. Right. Uh, just a couple more comments uh, the brain follower says great podcast great show i think this is second only to the first clash it's the best one of the decade actually uh, and then rockstead steady and <laughs> bebop getting a shout out what's the highlight which uh, uh, that's that's all you part i have no idea well with that they were the uh we've been t- we've been talking the teenage mutant ninja turtles and yeah. rock, rock steady and bebop were like uh you know um <laughs> That Krang, who uh, Brain Follower mentions in this post, was like a brain in a kind of uh, robot suit. <laughs> um, yeah. So he was like the big bad. Um, but also Shredder was like, also kind of like, they were kind of like the Emperor Vader type deal, you know? Okay. Um, and then, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then the only other thing after that was we got a soccer versus NFL debate, which you. Uh, <laughs> You you can read that if you want to. That was a uh, uh, some more stuff that went over my head, uh, and then we just had a couple of comments on the Halloween Havoc show with uh, that we did with Doc. Uh, Pete says Teddy Long's giant gold key was supposedly the key to Norman's cell and was the prop he used to control Norman. Uh, which he says, yes, possibly the lamest manager for an object ever, which I kind of <laughs> agree with. Uh, uh, and then we we got into the debate. I know we talked about with uh, with blood in the matches, and a couple of people gave their takes on that, brand follower and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, King Solomon says he grew up with Samoans here in the Los Angeles neighborhood and went to high school and played football with them. Sarp is right. They do value size. I also heard that their metabolisms are traditionally slow. Of course, they eat a lot and get older. Their slowing metabolism can have an adverse effect on their weight. Uh, so that's part of that. And then we had a couple of newer comments from a couple of guys. Uh, the Great Puma, which I don't recognize him he looks like he just joined this year at pro wrestling only uh, and he talks about he gives his take on the blood and then uh duke togo a very new member to pro wrestling only says haven't had a chance to listen to the episode yet but wanted to poke my head in here to say i really dig the show happened to cross it while looking for something to listen to at work and ended up inspiring me to join these boards you guys do a tremendous job of keeping things both informative and pretty damn entertaining 
Uh, his next step was to get his hands on the shows and DVDs we're reviewing. So thank you, Duke, for uh, the kind words. And, you know, I'm always happy when people join the uh, Pro Wrestling Only forums because, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great resource of wrestling knowledge there. So yeah. thank you for all the feedback. That was a lot just on Pro Wrestling Only. Yeah, and uh, uh, just, just on the... Uh just on the Samoan thing, uh, he was mentioned in there. I found out another guy was uh, Samoan earlier on. Jack, Jack Victory. Do what? <laughs> Jack Victory is Samoan. Samoan. It, it, it accounts for his uh, his weight gain over the oh. over the six month period. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, do join uh, pro wrestling only there. And if you um, and quite a lot of people. Uh, when they get in touch, or ask about the DVD sets that we uh, that we constantly reference. The AWA set, for example, is the is the current active one. Um, if you want those, uh, Pro Wrestling Only would be one place to find them. But it, really, the home of that is the Death Valley Driver boards, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the good good helmet is the name that you need to uh, whack into Google there, and uh, that's as far as I'll. That's as far as I'm willing to <laughs> to, to say here. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> send us a PM if you yeah. have any problems. Yeah, send uh, send. Uh, well, it, it, what other ways can they get in touch, Chad? Are we on Twitter? Are we on Facebook? <laughs> we are not. Uh, I am uh, kind of stretching myself. It's, it's 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 really neat though. We are expanding i think we started with the show or kind of our home base was either on the main page or uh pro wrestling only but as we've i guess expanded here i I know there's a lot of crossover from the place to be guys so either on the facebook page there or their message board uh, biglow34.proboards.com we get a lot of comments and feedback and then the other day parv uh this guy joined the uh, place to be uh, message uh, Facebook page and he was talking and he he asked me about the show and he said when are you and Jerry gonna do the show so when you know when I heard Jerry for referencing Jerry Von Kramer I was like well where's this guy from because I didn't recognize his name right. uh, and I asked him and he said he found us from the uh, old school wrestling podcast oh uh, right the, the comments there the Dre and the, the Dre and Black Cat. Yeah, yeah no, no, I, I, I still listen to those guys. You know, they they uh they're they're good. They're they're I always wanted to do a show with those two, Dre and the Black Cat. But they're they're kind of like uh, I, I, I don't know. You know, the place to be guys uh, kind of do comedy, but uh, but if you ever listen to the old school wrestling podcast, that Dre is like a kind of impression man. You know. He'll yeah. do like half the show in Dusty Rhodes' voice, <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's good fun. Uh, if you ever listen to that, uh, in fact, I need to go over there. I I don't uh, I don't leave comment. I always forget. And like by the t- by the time I remember to leave a comment, they were already like two shows down the line. So right. Um, anyway, uh, th- there are some comments on the uh, main page as well. James Fabiano, rem- remember him? He's kind of uh, yeah. Our buddy James, he's been a long-time listener. Yeah, um, he said, uh, I didn't think of the Robin Green pun until I listened to the Clash 8 commentary. In fact, I think Parv is the first person I've seen online to come up with a connection. Now, I have to correct James there. It was Chad who pointed it out, because I didn't. it didn't occur to me at all. <laughs> Robin Green. <laughs> um, I guess that's an accountant joke for you. I, I, I do love <laughs> the name. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, I, I prefer Robin Green than uh, Woman. <laughs> woman, yeah. 
It's a great name. Now, there's a there's a new commenter called Richard. I don't uh, I don't recognize uh, that name at all. Um, mm. But he says, I've got to admit, I'm a bit geographically challenged as far as NWA in the South goes. The only coverage I received was from Joe Pedicino and Bonnie Blackstone, uh, your old buddies, uh, yeah. in their in their weekly wrap-up show, which covers Memphis and your territory. Um, NWA in my area is the Olympic Auditorium in downtown LA, featured Harley Race, the Funks, uh, um, that's Terry Funk, who's a monster heel, and Dory Funk, who's a technician. Special attraction included uh, Bruno, still the best, best wrestler I saw live, Andre the Giant, Mel Mascaras, uh, the original uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, according to him. I have to, I, I really don't like Mel Mascaras, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, there we are. Um, did, did you, what do you think of a Mel Mascaras rock comparison, Jeff? <laughs> Um, I'll stay. I'll stay away from that one. <laughs> but he no said, Masters was popular, but uh, well, he he said he was over there, but not not, yeah. so, not so much in the southeast. Uh, mm. So this this must be a like a West Coast guy, I'm guessing. Yeah, uh, seems like an LA based guy, kind of in Solomon's uh, territory. Yeah, what what he said. Uh, keep up the podcast. He mentions a bit about uh, Fritz von Erich as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then. There's another guy called, another new commenter, I think, called FAW Rules. Uh, that mean anything to you? It does not. <laughs> um, he says, love the podcast. I uh, first listened to the WrestleWar uh, 89 show and then started with the uh, Flair Steamboat trilogy. And since then, I went back and listened to nearly every show. <laughs> well, I'd rather him than me. <laughs> Um, (laughs) any timeline on when the next one will be posted and I think quite a few guys have asked us that uh, in the past month because we went on a little hiatus didn't we Uh, yeah it's it's tough I I am um, I'm very envious of the place to be podcast guys and how they can sort of have a set schedule of two shows a month I can't I really can't imagine just I think with our time difference it's kind of impossible but ho- hopefully we can get in a groove now where these shows are uh kind of the weekly type uh precedent we were setting there for a while yeah um but he said uh keep up the good work basically and uh he'd love to see new episodes more frequently well we we, we yeah. do we, we do try um and yeah i know i don't like they, those guys are like three podcasts a week or something don't they the, yeah they, i mean it's two podcasts a week at least and then every once in a while they throw in a bonus show so it's it's kind of i mean but it's uh I, I do think time to the time logistics just don't work because uh you know par you're five hours ahead of me so by the time i get home from work during the week it's already past 10 o'clock at your time and yeah. as we can see our podcasts run very long so yeah well to give you an idea it's 3 a.m here yeah on, on, yes, a, on so. a sunday night so. right, right. Um, but 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 yeah we we, we will t- we try and I, I think we've got a lot more kind of uh special shows coming up chad right we, we we've never deviated from our standard uh standard show reviews but i think we have some uh as we approach the end of the 80s we've we've got a few different uh things lined up haven't we yeah i mean our next show will be the star cage show with a loss will be joining us for that show which i'm I'm really looking forward to and then after that we do have a a couple of kind of special things planned for the uh, end of the decade and getting into the 90s so uh, it should be a good couple of next episodes coming up 
Yeah, I look for I, I look forward and I especially look forward to uh, chatting to Loss, who's uh, as I've said many times, uh, one of the uh, great authorities uh, on the boards there. All right, Chad, it's been good fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're we're almost uh, three hours in here, so uh, you know uh, you've waited a month, but we've given you a hell of a lot to chew on here. So we'll take you a month yeah. to listen to this. <laughs> there you go. All right. Good night, Chad. All right. All right. See you, Par. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>